Gabbiadini, was he offside? The flag stays down for now. It's Gabbiadini! A super strike from the captain. Sublime. It is Manolo Gabbiadini with a brace. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Serie A Spotlight. This is Season 2, Episode 30 and we're your hosts Matt and Jake here to discuss all the happenings of Match Day 27 of Serie A which included two derbies, a Milan upset and a relegation six-pointer. Absolutely action-packed as a weekend, bro. Um, not many high-quality goals in my opinion for this one. No, not not. Too many. I believe there was the only one that kind of stood out to us, apart from that Napoli one-touch play that led to Osimhen's yeah. second goal, was Gabbiadini's second goal against Verona. Yeah, what a strike that was um, on the turn. You know, he created space very well. He, it was a snapshot essentially, and it was it was perfect. Um, very difficult to save over there. Yeah, captain leading by example over there in the relegation six pointer. Um, our betting segment, brother, victory back to winning ways. That makes it like I believe four victories in five now. Something like that. Um, we bet that Juve would win or draw against Inter, and that there'd be over two yellow cards in the game and we won yeah um, this was kind of clear to us um, considering Inter's current form yeah. and Juve's current form arguably the second best team in the league at the moment at the moment I, I would I would say so I know a couple of weeks ago I said that was Roma but football moves so quickly teams does. derail so quickly and teams rise to the occasion so quickly don't forget to follow us guys at Serie A Spotlight on Instagram Twitter TikTok and YouTube um, and don't forget to rate us five stars wherever you're listening Serie A Spotlight be it Spotify Apple Play or Google Podcasts yes and please do reach out we love to hear from you guys mm, absolutely I noticed that I just said Apple Play and Google Podcasts Podcasts. Yeah. It's Google. Do, is it Apple Podcasts and Google Play? Apple Podcasts and Google yeah, Play. Yeah, exactly. Is it even Apple? Po- it is Apple Podcasts it nowadays, is. right? It is, iTunes yeah. doesn't exist anymore. I no, no. I don't. I don't think it does. At okay. least. I think there's Apple Music. Okay. No. Yeah, you can tell I'm the Android guy over here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not too well versed <laughs> on Apple either. I just own their products because of airdrop there's yeah. a few other reasons that i use macbooks um, Bro, we were blessed this week to witness uh, an antonio conte public meltdown my god that had to be now i know i'm a serie a guy and, and i'm well not i don't have an anti-prem agenda but i have an anti-prem agenda but this <laughs> had to be the most entertaining thing that happened all weekend man yeah this is the the best, the second best um, Italian slating uh, an English team that we've seen. The slating Spurs specifically that we've seen since Kellini, right? Yeah. When, <laughs> when he basically said that is the history of the Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what Conte yeah. kind of said as well. It is. It is. I have some some sound bites over here, bro, from the from the interview. This is my personal favorite. The situation went to become. Worst. <laughs> I, I think as, as an English teacher, I think he'd be a terrible student to teach. I think, I think he would be. Um, <laughs> but at least he had a message and he gave the message. He, he delivered it. it. Yes. You know what I mean? The situation went to become worst, dude. There you go. Here's another one. I don't want to see what I have seen today because this is unacceptable. <laughs> also for the respect for the fans. They follow us, pay the tickets, and to see the team another time, 
to have this type of performance, for me, I repeat, this is unacceptable. And... Uh, so we can agree that it's unacceptable, no? It, 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 it's absolutely unacceptable by, <laughs> by Spurs. Hey, he has every right to be livid, but I do think that maybe he didn't try to get himself sacked, but maybe he was like, fuck it, if I'm sacked, pros and cons, baby. Yes, that's it, bro. Um, yeah, at this point, I think he understands that his Spurs career is over. There's no chance he's spending another season there. Most likely, he'll end up back in Serie A. So we'll see whether it's at Inter, whether it's at Milan. We'll see whoever decides to splash the cash and win a trophy and then have to deal with the nagging, basically. Exactly. Because that's the way much. it works with Conte. Pretty much. He's on £15 million uh, pounds a season, I believe. Oof. So that's going to be very hard to match where any... Serie A team. Yeah, he'll have to probably settle for a pay cut over there. Absolutely, brother. So I'll take you guys through the rundown of match day 27 of Serie A and the order, naturally, which we'll, we will be discussing them in. So we start with some double derby drama. Juve got the victory in the Derby d'Italia away to Inter with the score of 1-0, where there was some controversy, to say the least. That was Freddie Mercury singing Scandal for anyone who didn't realize there was in fact a game of volleyball that led to Kostic's goal, the only goal of the game. The next game was Lazio 1, Roma 0 in the Derby della Capitale, an early red card there for Ibanez, who at this point I just think he's a bit of a donkey when it comes to the Derby, at least that's another Derby where he cost Roma three points. Odinese managed to beat Milan three goals to one. The previous encounter was match day one where Milan beat Odinese three goals to one. There was a classic Beccao goal in that game, naturally. Napoli visited Torino in their stadium and beat them four goals to nil. I really did think that Torino could do something over there considering their form, but obviously Napoli are way too strong. Atalanta... Thank you. <laughs> Atalanta 2, Empoli 1, Atalanta back to winning ways. Salernitana went out to kill Bologna, but they came 2-2. A brilliant, brilliant game of football over there, jam-packed with drama. Fiorentina 1, Lecce 0. Fiorentina continued their winning ways. Sassuolo 1, Spezia 0. There was Monza 1, Cremonese 1. Two newly promoted sides going head-to-head -head over there. And a relegation six-pointer between Sampdoria and Verona where Sampdoria got their third victory of the season, beating Verona three goals to one. Wow, bro, it seems like every match day is just pivotal shit is happening. At this point, we really are at the point of the season where every little decision made by every single player affects the outcome of the entire season. Of course, yes, and the decision of the referee as well will match the, the outcome of the season at this point. And uh, we are nearing the end of the season you know the twilight part of the season yeah um, there are 11 games left in Serie A so if teams actually are serious about top four at the moment they do need to pick up a good run of form at the moment particularly the Milan teams no oh, absolutely absolutely the Milan teams it's interesting we now see Inter that are just as much involved in the race to top four as any other side as much as Roma as much as Milan as much as Lazio and Juve are getting closer and closer and closer bro the teams keep on slipping up, you remain consistent. Yes, if it weren't for the points deduction, they would currently be on 56 points in second place, um, ahead of Lazio, Inter Milan, everyone else, of course, but still 15 points behind Napoli. So that just um, goes to show how good Napoli have been this season. Yeah, I mean, 15 is the magic number this season 
for Juve. Um, it is looking likely that those 15 points are going to be granted back, but I don't understand the, the politics. I don't understand the behind the scenes. We don't have much more information. So unfortunately, we can't give you an update on that. But just be prepared and all teams should aim for a third just to be safe. Yes, bro. Um, Inter nil, Juve won is the first game we're going to be discussing this week. Um, the reverse fixture was a Juventus victory, 2-0. And this was match number 180 between Inter and Juventus in the Serie A. The most played match in the history of the Serie A. The Derby uh, d'Italia, my friend. Yes, sir. There we go. Second place is Inter and Roma with 179, by the way. Ooh. So they've just um, jumped them there. Yeah. Juve are ahead in the record over here. So out of these 180 games, Juve have won 86 times. You Inter have won 48 times and there were 45 draws. Wow, they're significantly ahead of them. <laughs> yeah, and um, in recent times, Inter have been struggling against Juve in Juve Stadium as, sorry, in their own stadium, as they've only won two of their 12 home league games against the Bianconeri Whoa. with five draws and five losses. Another fun fact over here about Juve and how well they have been doing. Um, only Napoli with 23 goals have scored more goals than Juventus in Serie A since the beginning of 2023. Juve have scored 20. This is a Max Allegri Juve, which makes it all the more yeah. um, surprising. Exactly. And even the fact that it's decorated with young players at the moment, it's mad. Yeah. It's like we're living in a parallel universe. All right. Um, Inter have been defeated in four of their last seven say, uh, matches played after Champions League matches. Now, this is interesting, um, including the last two in chronological order against Bologna and the one against Juve in the reverse fixture. So that might be a sign of an aging squad, um, a squad that can't maybe keep up with the compact nature of the schedule. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's get into the structure. For Inter, it was a 3-5-2 formation, as always, with Onana in goal, Acerbi Dev and Darmian at the back with DiMarco on the left, Dumfries on the right, Chalanoglu, Brozovic and Barella were in the middle with Martinez and Lukaku up front. For Juve, it was a 3-5-1-1 formation with Szczesny in goal, Gatti, Bremer and Danilo at the back with De Chilio on the right, Kostic on the left, Rabiot, Locatelli and Fagioli in the middle and Vlaovic playing up front with Sule playing off his shoulder. Um, Inzaghi made three changes from the Porto game, bringing in Brozovic, Devry, and Lukaku. Um, Bastoni, Skriniar, Bastoni and Skriniar were not on, even fit for the bench, by the way. Wow. Um, Acerbi, Devry, and Darmian formed a makeshift backline over there. Yeah. It's interesting to note how many youngsters, um, of course, you've had. They had Sule over here, Fajoli, and Gatti. They're all young bucks over there. So yeah. nice to see their average age was 26.6. Oof. I keep thinking De Chilio is younger than he is because yeah. he, he always played like a very young player. <laughs> um, and I would say even Locatelli. But Locatelli has shown significant strides of improvement. And even in this match, so he was really, really good. It's, it's true, especially defensively. Uh, many people think of Locatelli as this goal scorer midfielder because of the Euros and the fact that he scored yeah. two goals yeah. um, during that tournament but no that, that's not his strongest suit. that ain't him that ain't him that ain't him so um, the action started in the 18th minute when Inter created their best opportunity of the game Barella and Lukaku played a swift one to which saw Lukaku playing Barella through who shot it straight to Szczesny um, and that at the time was we thought was a sign of more things to come for Inter yeah. But that did not prove to be the case as that was their best scoring opportunity all game. Yeah, pretty much. 
In the 23rd minute, Juventus volleyballed their way towards goal, leading to Rabio playing it to Kostic, who placed it in, leaving Onana rooted to the spot. Now, this goal can be studied. Of course, there's a lot of controversy over here. Um, it looked to hit three different hands and VAR yeah. checked the two handballs by Rabio, which granted might have not been, but the one that VAR did not check was the more controversial one, in my yeah, opinion, Vlahovic. the one on Vlaovic, exactly, where his arm was extended and it actually looked to be a handball, but somehow, mm. of course, VAR did not spot that. Yeah. Um, Darmian was very slow to press bro over here um, and Dumfries got caught in no man's land and by the time he returned he was blocking Onana's view of the ball and eventually yes um, Kostic just guided it into uh -huh. the bottom corner. Needless to say I think Onana was quite poorly placed in that goal as well. Now I know mm -hmm. it was a good finish by Kostic and few keepers could have done anything about that but he would have increased his chances had he been positioned more centrally. He was really really off to his right. Um, which allowed Kostic to go for the fast for, to the far yeah. post and and get the goal over there. Um, just a point about the the handballs in in the build up to that goal. Um, the rule has been created in order in order to favor the attacking players, so that we'll see more goals for the casuals. You know, to to see more goals and be more entertained by football. And sometimes the decision making isn't fair. Um, Obviously, there was that controversy because they said they were checking two handballs and there were, in fact, three potential handballs in the build-up to that. Vlahovic did use a, a, an arm to help him control the ball. It wasn't extended. It was kind of against his body. Um, still controversial over there. Rabio's initial one, his arm was kind of extended and it did bounce yeah. off his arm. Technically speaking... I think had this been 10 years ago, all three could have been given as handballs. But yeah. in today's day and age, with the amount of favors that strikers get by the referees, then, the, the, you know, they can they can close an eye for that. Yeah, perhaps, bro. Um, things did not get better for Inter in the first half, as they managed just one shot on target for the rest of the half. They ended the first 45 minutes with 69% possession, five efforts to one target against Juve's two total shots and one on target. So far, mm -hmm. Max Allegri masterclass. Yeah. The second half saw Inter crossing the ball 36 times only, <laughs> managing Fuck. to get three shots on target out of 18 attempts. And the game eventually ended with a score of 1-0. Um, bro, uh -huh. obviously there was there was a fight at the end. You know, D'Ambrosio and Paredes get sent off. It's always the bench players that go the craziest, right? Yeah, I, I think that, you know... They'll be they'll be watching the game like like spectators. They're, they're watching their favorite team go go head to head. Um, tensions are running high. It's it's a derby. But yeah, you're you're right to point that out. I think they understand maybe they're less valuable and and they if anyone's gonna say something, it, it best be a bench player and not a concrete starter. Yeah, definitely. Um, Lukaku and Lautaro had two shots together combined, I believe, on target. My God. Um, Lukaku had 23 touches all game. Fuck. Um, he was neutralized perfectly, to be honest, expertly by Bremer, mm -hmm. while Gatti was responsible for neutralizing Lautaro Martinez, and he did a fantastic job as well. We mentioned that Juve might be quick in the market next summer after they will probably lose Bonucci, um, considering he you know, is getting old and is showing in his performances. 
Gatti, however, is a strong candidate to be fighting for that place as the third defender. Young Italian, which is something Juve like quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And he put in a spectacular performance over here. We don't see a lot of Gatti. Um, we definitely don't see a lot of mistakes from yeah. Gatti. He's a very, very solid defender. He's a really young good. talent. Really good player. Um, which, by the way, on a side note over here, Mancini, the manager of the Italian national team, of course, has criticized Milano recently, saying that um, they do not field enough Italians and Italian teams in general don't field any young Italians. And a 25-year-old in Italy is considered a youth and all these claims, etc. Yeah. But the guy still calls up Bonucci, who barely gets a sniff at Juve and looks terrible when he does. Um, when you have players like Gatti and Chasale playing amazing football and not getting called up, you know, so... Um, I mean, yeah. yes, but then there's also a lack of experience within that very young Italy team. So having a, a leader in the dressing room like Bonucci, I guess, goes a long way for, for a team like that. Think of Milan with Zlatan, for example. But I do think it's time to start giving Gatti some, some call-ups because yeah, it's he, time he's to dying think about, to be there. Think about the future, you know? I mean, yeah. You've got Verratti there who's been there for ages. He could take on the role as a leader. You've got the likes of Chiro Mobile playing up front. You know, I mean, he, he can take the the helm as a leader. But anyway, yeah, um, not quite the personality that Bonucci has, but sure. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting things that I noticed about this game was that Juve's midfield actually looks very good. And Juve's midfield has been a talking point since the days of Vidal, Pirlo, Marquisio, you know. Um, they haven't had a solid midfield like this um, in a while, man. Yeah. And you look at you look at it, it's perfectly balanced at the moment. And they're racking up games together, these guys. They're getting used to each other. And you can really see it. Rabiot, Locatelli, Fagioli. You've got a little bit of everything over there. Yeah, I think it's very good. They're very effective when they play together. That is mainly where they're winning games at the moment. Um, I think Locatelli has found some, some new form, which is really gelling the midfield together. I think that's needless to say about Rabiot as well. And Fagioli is new to the scene and he's doing a fantastic job filling in that role as the right central midfielder on slightly more the attacking side. A very um, uh, forward thinking player. He's always wanting to move forward over there, Fagioli. He is a real threat from the center in, in going forward. Yeah, bro. Um, do you think that Inter playing in the Champions League actually made a difference over here? That game against Porto was exhausting for them. I mean, when you look at, you know, all, all the drama and the other time that there was in that game, it's obvious that, that it is going to have an, an effect on Inter. However, Juve had, had an even shorter um, turnover for this game because they were playing Europa League on a Thursday night. True. So they recovered well. And on the other hand, Inter did not. So I wouldn't solely um, blame that, essentially. Yeah, um, Juve, it's true, in fact, did play more recently. Um, I don't know what's what's next for Inter, man, because, you know, Milan are in a similar similar situation right now. And, you know, apparently they might try the 4-2-3-1 formation again. They might revert to that. So they've got that as kind of a, a hopeful glimmer, you know what I mean? Having this formation to fall back on the one as well, uh -huh. one meal on the league. Yeah. And with Manian back in goal, you know, there might not be a need to play a 3-5-2 anymore. Uh -huh. However, with Inter, with Simone Enzaghi, the fact that he's been playing a 3-5-2 for ages and pretty much only plays a 3-5-2 formation, he's got his best individuals pretty much playing week in, week out. What can he do over here to turn things around? 
I mean, that, that's the criticism for inter-system in the Conte days and in the um, Simone and Zaghi days. It's, it's the fact that it, it is one system. They are one-trick ponies. Normally, they can really overpower you with those formations. But you notice when, when they have... It's never a small spell of bad form for Inter. It's always elongated um, because they don't have a backup plan on how they can win games if their system is failing. Um I think that ever since Brozovic has come back into the side, not directly blaming Brozovic, but that has set Inter back a little bit. They haven't been on good form since he's been back. I think they had something really good with Chalanoglu playing as a regista, and I think they managed to dominate games a little bit better and to link up play a little bit better. Either Brozovic doesn't give too much of a fuck since he's probably on his way out, um, or... He's just returned from injury, to be fair, so he could As be well. getting back to to his ways. Um, Brozovic had the the most distance covered this match day. So the classic Brozovic is back, no? The Marlboro smoking, Malteser eating, <laughs> Dorito chewing, you know? The type of... <laughs> the, the same old Brozovic we know to just run his fucking lungs out. Mm. Um, that Brozovic is back. However, there does seem to be something missing from his from his game. Um, something that we're so used to seeing. His, uh, you know, the way he'd dictate the play, the way he'd control that midfield, the way he'd set the tempo. That isn't really there yet. Let's see if he can get it back. Um, as you mentioned, his future is uncertain, so there might be a lack of motivation. Yeah, well. that, that, that's why I said he might not give a fuck because his his work ethic is there and that, that's never going to leave because it's his style of play. His style of play and his role is to cover as much ground as possible and link the defense to the, to the midfield and to the attack subsequently. Um, but those leadership traits which Inter so desperately need at the moment, they need that one leader in the team, doesn't seem to be present. Whenever they have a bad performance like this, which they did have in this game, Barella is always their best player. He is always their best player in these scenarios. Definitely, bro. So this was an Allegri masterclass doing what he does best over here. He has taken Juventus to seventh with 41 points. They... They're on a Champions League push with the points deduction. Yeah. So if that's <laughs> if they win their appeal over there, that's going to be crazy. Yeah. Um, Inter, on the other hand, are in third with fifty points as they continue to slump a little bit. They've now got nine losses. My God, yeah, nine losses is crazy, man. It is crazy, honestly. That's like two less than Sassuolo, two fewer. My God, my God. I just want to point out one more thing about Inter and their wingbacks. So they have DeMarco who is doing well. Um, obviously, like the rest of the team, he's taken a bit of a slump like the rest of them. There's no doubt about that. Denzel Dumfries, hmm. I've got some concerns about him as a footballer all round um, you could be very replaceable it was very replaceable I, I don't know who it was there was a pundit during the Euros who said I'm curious to see who the fools who believe that this is Dem Denzel Dumfries are you know, someone mm. said, like, I'm, I'm curious to see who's going to who's gonna buy this guy, who's going to fall for this mirage that we're seeing right. over here of Dumfries. And they want millions for They want him. 40 million euros for Dumfries. Dude, you better stop playing him if you want that much. <laughs> people are starting to see, dude, that he's worth fucking 20 at most, dude. 
um, he he has not been playing well. And his strongest suit during the Euros, the player that he kind of um, gave the impression that he was, was this guy who just bombed forward and proved to yeah. be an offensive threat. But in reality, he can't really take on his man in a one v one. No, you know, and and that's very important from the wings. You know, right now they're they're lacking that creative spark. Out mm. wide, um, Di Marco is the only winger they have who who is actually capable of taking on his man, and it's not as much as taking on his man as it is being able to play a perfect ball before the position to take on his man even ar- arrives. Yeah, and and if it weren't for Di Marco and Barella, Mar- Lautaro and Lukaku are totally isolated up there, mm-hmm. totally isolated. Every time they have the ball, it's like. You've got Lautaro who's on shit form and you've got Lukaku who is half the player that he used to be. So it's like dumb and dumber trying to do something together. <laughs> like, Yes, sir, bro. Um, that touch in the first opportunity in the 18th minute, by the way, by Lukaku was a, was was a nice. really good flick. But yeah, yeah, he's yeah he, look, if he's got one strong suit at the moment with his increase in physicality, let's say that he got stronger, <laughs> not to offend him. Yeah. Um, he's great at shielding the ball and playing with his back towards goal. Otherwise... Yeah. Not much of a goal scorer, unless it's from the spot. Definitely, bro. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to add from this game. No, I think I think you've got it pretty much nailed down, brother. The next game we're going to be covering is the second derby that was played in this match day. It was Lazio 1, Roma 0 in the derby della Capitale. Lazio got the double over Roma um, for the first time since the 2011-2012 season. The previous encounter was an away victory for Lazio, one goal to nil, where Ibanez had something to do with that as well. <laughs> now, this was not just a bitter local derby, but also a head-to-head for top four, as they were separated by just two points going in. Immobile was still out injured and only fit enough for the bench as Matthias Vecino was suspended and Provedel was able to start despite flu symptoms. Someone always has flu symptoms. Someone is always playing with flu symptoms. Um, Jose Mourinho sat out a touchline ban with Marash Kumbulla suspended and Rick Karsdorp suffering from a fractured nose. Mourinho must have given him that fractured nose. He finally decked him. He finally, finally did it. He spoke with his fist rather than his mouth there we go now Lazio start in their classic 4-3-3 Sarri formation with Provedel in goal and the back line of Hisai, Romagnoli, Cazale and Marisic they had Luis Alberto, Cataldi and Milinkovic-Savic in the middle with Zaccani out on the left Pedro out on the right and Anderson filling in Immobile's boots West Roma started their 3-4-2-1 formation with Rui Patricio on goal, a backline of Mancini, Smalling and Ibanez. <laughs> Fucking idiot, like. <laughs> Zalewski out on the right, Spinazzola out on the left and the double pivot of Cristante and Wijnaldum, with Dybala and Pellegrini playing off the shoulders of Belotti, with Tammy Abraham on the bench once again for Roma. So in the 32nd minute, Ibanez received his second yellow card for a mistimed challenge on Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, once again throwing the derby away for Roma and proving, once again, Roma's disciplinary problem. Sergei celebrated that like it was a goal, a lot yeah. of passion. The fucking eagle started rattling in its cage. The, <laughs> the fucking Lazio supporters started going wild. And from then on, you just knew it was Lazio's day once again. In fact, and then in the 65th minute, in the second half, Zaccagni, who else than Zaccagni, what a player, got a goal for Lazio. It was Anderson's flick-on that was misjudged by Zalewski, and Zaccagni did a great job to finish perfectly from quite a tough angle. 
In the 68th minute, just three minutes later, Roma had the ball in the back of the net when Lorenzo Pellegrini's free kick found a Mancini header. Rui Patricio saved, Chris Smalling knocked it on to Cesale, who bundled it into his own net. However, VAR showed that Smalling was offside and the goal was disallowed. What could have been for Roma, brother? Yeah. A post-match scuffle resulted in Cristante and Marisic getting sent off, but other than that, Lazio did a great job in maintaining that 1-0 victory against 10-man Roma. What did you make of this Derby, bro. So it was clear to me that Roma came out to counterattack this Lazio side, right? Mm. Um, and of course, it would have been an interesting game if it weren't for Ibanez's chaotic 30 minutes, man. This, I think I'm not sure what it is with Ibanez, whether it's the fact that the stage would be so big and it'd be fueled with so much adrenaline. Like no one was calm this game, you no, know? No. You, you look at the coaches in the first 30 minutes, everyone was telling the players to calm down. You look at, for example, um, the coach of Roma, who was Mourinho, it's the, the other guy. The, the, his second-hand man, Yeah, the second-hand man. Um, he constantly telling everyone, calma, 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 calma. Um, you have Sarri as well telling his players to calm down. So I don't know if it's just the fact that he's too gassed, he's, he's got mm. too much adrenaline, or the fact that he's just clumsy man I think he's to be fair I think he's terribly terribly unlucky that is one of them however his decision making I can't help but yeah. think that it's poor and, and I have to agree with you I think it must be a rush of blood to the head because yeah. it's on the biggest stages that he does it all the time consistently um, Roger Ibanez is just against Lazio he is one of them yeah, I wonder how many Lazio shirts exist with the Banyas at the back. <laughs> Probably Banyas three. I'm sure they do, bro. Yeah, <laughs> this guy is giving them three derby victories. Yeah, the, man, it's it's absolute crazy. I would go so far as not to play him. In the, in yeah, honestly, honestly, honestly. And and I think just to judge him a bit more as a footballer, um, I think he is great for Mourinho's system when it comes to set pieces. I think he's very involved in that, whether he's getting the final touch or whether he's creating space for Smalling or Mancini. Um, but other than that, as a defender, as a tackler, as someone that forms part of the back line, he really struggles, man. He really struggles. And it goes unnoticed because he's in a back three and because he's got Smalling next to him. Smalling does a lot of work to cover up for Mancini and the Banyas. Yeah. I think he is that star man. And I think Mancini, obviously he's important to have once again in a Mourinho team because he's yeah. so tough and they don't have a tougher player than him. He's also quite clumsy and he's quite slow. If he makes a yeah. mistake, he really struggles to track back, which is then when Ibanez becomes effective because yeah. he is good at backtracking. So it's this good balance that Roma have within the midfield, but then you pick them out individually and there's not much going on over there, man. No, totally, bro. Um, Mancini and the Banyas are or can be viewed as Mourinho players because of their, their aggression, their grinta, you know. But at the end of the day, they do prove to be liabilities on uh, co too consistently. And I think that would be a, an area where Roma need to invest yeah uh, absolutely i have to say the lazio roma derby is one of the most heated derbies that there is in italy at the moment it seems like none of the players get along it was there there was that whole zaccani and zaniolo situation yeah. that actually stopped zaccani from getting so many call-ups to italy because he just kept fucking zaccani's girl like <laughs> 
um, it, it does get really heated between these two pairs and, and Mourinho went so far as to criticise Lazio for their European failure before the game yeah. um, originally it was Sarri that said like oh wow Roma won a, a fucking bullshit tournament yeah. and then Lazio got knocked out of the bullshit tournament and Mourinho had the final laugh over there but then he sent his team um, to the derby and Lazio managed to get three points so they did have the, the final laugh and then after yeah, that yeah he said it's a shame they have to spend money to ship the conference league trophy out of Rome but if it could have stayed in Rome and he said unfortunately now they're probably going to have to ship it to Florence uh, hinting that Fiorentina might win the conference league which is a good possibility but bro Zaccani you talked about Zaccani yeah in my opinion there isn't a better mm. Italian forward at the moment form wise and I think it's an absolute tragedy that he hasn't been called up to the national team yeah I think it's an absolute tragedy I would go so far to say as that he should have been called up back in his Hellas Verona days because Probably he's been a, a top player for a while took him a season or so to settle him properly at Lazio but he's there and he's the first name on the team sheet now man um, I would agree with you Berardi is also up there naturally yeah. but he has been out for the majority of the season and even that guy in the Bundesliga Grifo Grifo has yeah. got like 13 goals in Bundesliga this season he's doing really well Christ Okay, so I I would agree with you, Zakani is at least the most effective forward, Italian forward that there is this season, even more than the Premier League legend, Nionto, bro. Yes, sir. So this was the 180th Rome Derby, considering all competitions. Um, It was the 158th in Serie A. Um, In the top flight, Roma lead the balance with 56 victories to Lazio's 41, while 60 were draws. So Roma domination all around. But in... Recent history, Lazio are unbeaten in their last six home derbies in Serie A. They won four and drew two. And half for the first time in their history, gone six consecutive home league games against Lazio, sorry, against Roma without losing, man. Well, so... The tide is shifting. The tide is shifting. Um, Sarri has really transformed Lazio. And there were, there were conversations that um, were had amongst pundits about Sarri's future. Um, whether he deserves a bigger club after this. To be honest, um, we'll see. The Lazio project is a good one and they seem to be getting Champions League football next season Mm. um, if they manage to keep this. You know, the the victory after this game saw the Lazio players in very high spirits. They had their kids on the stadium. You know, you see Luis Alberto um, dancing with his with his kids, you see the players celebrating, dancing with the with the eagle. No, there's yeah. the guy holding the eagle. I love that there. eagle, bro. It's so cool. <laughs> you know, it's, I think they they let the eagle fly around, do a lap around the stadium before the game. It's quite cool. Yeah, I, I mean, what a mascot to have, um, huh? Yeah. A, a cool ass mascot. But I do think there was an element of over celebrating um obviously they won the derby they got the double over roma very heated they have every right to celebrate but the way they were celebrating was that they got confirmed europe yeah you know what i mean not done yet especially with juve lurking and the points possibly returning absolutely um sorry however as you said has really transformed this lazio team to a team that is just taking on these top seven teams like it's nothing. They've been doing a spectacular job this year. They're one of the big dogs and they deserve it. They've been fantastic. Um, few slip-ups this season and they're, they're deservedly so. They're, they are in second place 
Roma, on the other hand, keeps spiraling downwards a little bit. It seems like there's a lot of tension going around with Mourinho's ban. They've gotten the entire fans involved. They've gotten the entire club involved. Um, players are lacking discipline. Kumbulla got a red card in the last game. Now... Roger Ibanez got a red card in this game. After the game, there was a red card going both sides, um, one for Cristante and one for Marisic. So, so Roma are going to be very compromised in the next game. And, you know, Roma need to learn how to keep their heads because it's one thing being a very talented team. But if you can't keep your heads in a big moment, then it's all for nothing. Lazio in second place on 52 points, whilst Roma are in fifth on 47 points. Very good, bro. Um, one thing I'd like to address before we move on is um, Immobile. So mm. Immobile, of course, is Mr. Lazio. No, he's the king. He's a goal-scoring machine. He's an absolute beast. But I do feel like when Immobile is on the pitch, Lazio have a lot of pressure to serve him. Right? Yeah. Um, they're constantly trying to build their play around servicing Immobile. And that kind of takes away from the fluidity and the dynam dynamis dynamicism. Dyn dyn Let's dynamism. call it that. Dynamism. Dy what's the word, bro? I don't even know what you're trying to say. Though. Dynamic. The dy dynamicism. Dy dy I, I don't know if there's even a word for that. The dynamicanism. Yeah, dynamicanism. Yeah, let's stick to that. Um, the fact that Zakani, Anderson, and Pedro shift and gel so nicely together and they're so fluid in their movement that um, I can't help but feel that they look better. Yeah, I mean, mobile. this. This year they do, especially because when Immobile has been on the pitch, at times he has been a bit of a liability. We saw that game where he missed all of the chances. He's, he's missed more um, throughout. Um, and, and, and it's good that Sarri has the mentality that, look, if, if you're not playing as well as Anderson, you're going to be left on the bench. Um, and that's what he's been doing. He's been prioritizing this new look front three of Zakani, Anderson and Pedro. It's kind of a false nine, which allows Pedro and Zakani to get so close to goal where they are dangerous. They are two very dangerous players in front of goal. And Anderson, very versatile over very there, man. And plays this, really well in the pockets. Yeah, this does mean that Milinkovic-Savic is going to have less assists because <laughs> Immobile is his man. Um, but otherwise, yeah, un unaffected, I would say. Kind of better. Yeah. This um, some crazy scenes at the end of the game. Apparently, Mourinho was around the dressing room and he saw the little figure of Claudio Lotito walking <laughs> around. And apparently, um, <laughs> Mourinho told... Um, Lotito Ma che cazzo guadi? To which Lotito replied Ma che cazzo guadi tu? <laughs> Sta casa mia which basically means, okay, so Mourinho told him, what the fuck are you looking at? And then Lotito told him, what the fuck are you looking at? This is my house. <laughs> and you're not allowed here, <laughs> exactly. is what he added after that. Oof. And that's uh, James Horncastle speaking Italian over there. Shout yeah. out to our boy James, the man with the phenomenal surname. Uh, absolutely. Phenomenal head of hair as well. And yes. I, I do like that look. Um... That was Lazio Roma for you guys. Just to mention that Roma returned from the international break with back-to-back -back fixtures against Atalanta and Milan. So it is not going to get easier for the Roman side. Yeah, definitely not. The next game we're going to be covering is Udinese 3, Milan 1. Balance in the previous eight matches in Udine between Udinese and Milan um, in the league at least. There were three victories for each team. 
Um, this has proven to be a bogey fixture for Milan. Udinese away from home is a fixture that Milan have struggled with immensely. Absolutely. In fact, Milan is the team against which Udinese has drawn the most matches in its history in Serie A. 36 draws in 96 matches. My God. Uh, Milan were unbeaten in 10 of their previous 11 matches against Udinese in Serie A. With five wins and five draws. The previous loss came in August 2019, thanks to a goal from none other than Rodrigo Becao, who loves to score against Milan. Um, he almost managed again this match, day, yeah. <laughs> winning a header over there. So the Udinese lineup was a 3 5 2 formation with Silvestri in goal, Perez, Biol, and Becao were at the back with Udoji on the left, Ezibwe on the right. Pereira, Wallace, and Samardzic in the middle. Success and Beto formed the striking partnership. For Milan, it was Mike Manian in goal in their 3-4-2-1 formation with Kalulu, Chao, and Tomori at the back. Salamakers on the right, Fado Baloture on the left, who um, was replacing Theo Hernandez, who came down with the flu. Um, as you mentioned before, funnily yeah. enough, but, um, <laughs> randomly players also get the flu. <laughs> Tonali and Benasser were in the middle with Brahim Diaz and Leao playing off the shoulders of Ibrahimovic, his first start this season. Now, in the ninth minute, Samardzic drove towards Milan's box and Pereira just kicked the ball off him and passed Manjan to f score their first goal, the opening goal. And that's when Milanisti around the world all knew that this was going to be another one of those Udinese yeah. away games where you can see the colorful seats in the distance, but your mood is not very colorful at all. <laughs> in the 48th minute, towards the end of the first half, there was a VAR check and it granted Milan a penalty after Biol handled the ball in the box. Zlatan stepped up to take the penalty. He would have become the eldest player to score in Serie He went towards the bottom left, but Silvestri managed to save it. Beto ran towards the ball and cleared the ball. Now, it turns out, apparently, like it felt like five minutes yeah. after the penalty yeah. was given, that the referee stopped play and asked for a retake. This was because Beto encroached inside the area yeah he, he he entered the ball basically he entered the box before Zlatan had a shot yeah stupid stupid yes um but there were also Milan players who encroached so the rule states that because Beto actually cleared the ball the penalty had to be retaken had he not touched the ball had it been another player who didn't encroach there wouldn't have been a retake over there yeah uh, so, I don't know how long it's going to take for players to learn this man yeah like come on dude and for Silvestri this is a bit of a a bit of a curse because he has saved three penalties in the past 12 months but has never saved a penalty in Serie A oh that's my because God. these three penalties all had to be retaken that's fucking crazy yeah. bro he's so unlucky that GTA <laughs> looks in the motherfucker so unlucky honestly and time for a new hairstyle huh? <laughs> so Zlatan stepped up to retake the penalty now Zlatan has written in his book Adrenaline which I have read um, that Ooh. there's a bit of a mental block no, when it comes to him and penalties. And mm. he says he's not quite sure what it is, but he doesn't feel as confident as he used to. He doesn't have that killer instinct with penalties anymore. However, he still takes them, of course. <laughs> because, hmm. um, yeah, that's, he's a lot and he does what he wants. And he actually scored this one. He went powerful, down the middle, high, and he scored. Yeah. Um, becoming the eldest player ever to score in Serie A. Do you remember the player, the eldest player before him to score in Serie A? Fuck, I knew this. 
I knew this. No, it wasn't. No, no. I was going to say Toto di Natale, but no, no. Not. It was it was um, Billy Costa Quirta. Now oh, Costa Quirta scored a penalty against 41, Udinese right? in a loss, but that season Milan won the Champions League. Oh, <laughs> it's happened again. <laughs> now we'll see if history repeats itself over there. Okay, yeah, so it we'll, looked we'll like see. we're very curious to see if that's yes, gonna happen. Very curious, right? <laughs> to see. Yes, um, it's, it's good to mention, by the way, um, when the referee announced the retake because of the encroachment, Sotil was fucking livid and he lost yes. his mind and ended up getting sent off. To the oh stand. yes, yes, that's true. Um, and we looked at each other and we're like, "Wow, they've collapsed!" Like little, yeah. Bit, you know. <laughs> They're collapsing, huh? In the first half, in the 50th minute, just two minutes after the penalty drama, Milan let Udoji dribble into the box, play it to success, who squared it to Beto, who scored an uncontested tap, and the Milan players crowded the area, everyone was in the box, but this shit still happened, okay, yeah. they just... It was honestly like there were no defenders around. Um, you see Chao not marking his man, you see Tonali failing to, to press the ball and... and um, recover the ball essentially when Udoji um, shouldn't have be, had so much space and time in the box yeah. he was in the box with the ball and he had three yeah. players around him how does he still get the pass the, the lack of press there was ridiculous yeah it was terrible then the second half started Milan changed things up they tried and tried and tried but it was in the 70th minute that they were dealt the killer blow as Isaac's success bullied Chow who went down holding his face like he was trying to win a penalty but he was in the wrong box and he played it to <laughs> Destiny Udoji who played the ball to Ezebue, who, of course, scores. Of course, Ezebue scores against Milan after we have spent an entire season mispronouncing his name. Yeah, of course, man. Of yeah. course. Spitting in our face. Exactly. And Udinese, as we were saying, oh, there have been there at that start of the season, and mm. now it's all downhill from here. And, of course, here they are beating our favorite team, 3-1. Yeah. But whatever, bro. What did you make of this game? I, I mean, there, there's one way to put it, bro. Milan once again not up to the task at all um, we can speak about Leao all day and how fucking uninvolved he is and, 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 and just what a waste of time he's been over the past couple of games I think that's definitely a point of, of concern we're back to seeing Milan conceding three goals and conceding more goals it goes to show that it's not just the goalkeeper um, it's not the three in the back formation that is that is stopping this from happening with Kalulu, Chao and, and Tomori um, who before this game were all on fine form the midfield double pivot of Ben Nasser and Tonali I think is proving to be quite limited when it comes to when Milan are defending where Milan are off the ball you mentioned earlier that Milan might switch it up to a 4-2-3-1 which is what won them the league last year yes it was but Kessie was on the team which gave that defensive physicality so I really don't think that going back to a 4-2-3-1 is the solution I think sure go back to a four at the back formation we once saw Milan play a 4-3-3 against Juve when Pobega played um, there could even be Krunic over there to give them some more balls when it comes to the mm. defensive fucking work mm. ethic um, a three in the midfield has to be the way Milan go Milan have to swap yeah, to a 4-3-3 you put Diaz on the wing which is where he's best you play Leao out wide wider than he is now um, which is where he is best you put Kalulu on the right because he's a good right back. And then you have Chao and Tomori 
as the defensive two. And you've got, I would play Pobega personally, but Krunic has been really putting in a shift and Krunic could really fit into that midfield yes, three. No, I think Krunic would be uncontested now at this point. Mm. Um, the 4-2-3-1 formation, as we've said before, worked so well for Milan because he had Kessie in there doing a two-man job. Kessie, who has just scored the winner in El Clasico, by the way. <laughs> um, he was not replaced when he was um, allowed to walk out, walk out for free. Um, by Milan. Um, Tonali and Benasser, it's true, defensively, they don't quite offer it and they don't quite have that um, chemistry that we would like for a double pivot, you know. Mm. In a 4-3-3, you make an interesting point, it would allow Milan to play with Tonali, Benasser and Krunic. Yes, yeah. as a midfield three, very complete over there. It would allow, as you mentioned, Brahim Diaz to play out on the right. And that would be actually very good. Leao to play closer, uh, further, farther out wide where he can attack the byline. And that's a, that's a great idea, to be honest, bro. I really hope that Milan do move to this direction of 4-3-3, especially now that Mike Manian's back. There's no reason to add another centre-back. When you look at the centre-back depth, it's not even that good of Milan. There's no need to, to force play with three at the back you know yeah I think it, it worked when it had to yes that's, um, it. that's now it. I don't want Pioli to make the same mistake of hanging on to the 4-2-3-1 for so long with, with the 3-4-3 three, three now because he's now it seems like that has overstayed its welcome just like the 4-2-3-1 so let's keep being versatile and let's put in that 4-3-3 formation man and hopefully it won't end up being a 4-3-2-1 yeah Christ <laughs> We'll see. Um, Leao does like to play more centrally. It seems that he does not understand his own strengths. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, bro. So I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to add from this game. Udinese were great. Pereira was at his absolute best over here. A tireless workhorse. Some odds it showed why some of Italy's finest are looking at him. Udinese have shown the importance of having good players out wide. This was one of the, you know, you look here, they have Udoji on assist, Azibwe on a goal. And those are yeah. the wide players over there. Something that Inter, for example, struggled with. With their wild players, with their white players, and have been struggling with um, since. Yeah, agreed. No, there's not much I'd like to add. I think you know, Milan. You know, Udinese played well. I do think that most teams on this day would have gotten past Milan. It just seems that that Milan panic every time a, a ball is played in an unexpected direction. You've yeah. got defenders crashing into each other. You've got Tonali and Benasser with a serious lack of communication. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's just a total mess right now for, for the Milan teams, huh? Yes, bro. And um, of course, rumors are sprouting about a new manager at the helm for Milan, perhaps soon, perhaps next season. And the hottest name at the moment is Luis Enrique. He's currently managing at an international level. Um, in his first season at Barcelona, he led them to a treble, reinventing Tiki Taka at the time and mm. building up from the back. Um, you know... By the time he managed 50 games, this guy, he had 42 wins, um, Luis Enrique. So mm -hmm. that's not a bad shout, at least. Um, I, I don't like the talk of replacing the manager at such a delicate point in the season, but Absolutely. it has proven to to add a boost. So we'll we'll see what mm -hmm. Milan decides. I do think they'll see out the season with Pioli. Absolutely. With Pioli. And if things start to look shakier to the point that Milan go down to sixth, for example, there might be a panic change. And Luis Enrique at least wouldn't be 
the worst person to bring. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that he had success at Barca. I mean, yes, he, he did have great players around him. He had Barcelona and Barcelona. Um, <laughs> he is a great man. He's a great man manager. Um, he He's very involved with the fans. He always is involved with the fans. He had those famous um post world cup live streams to communicate with the fans oh, yeah, and to I take remember their advice that. he's a good man um he would be a good fit for milan but look stefano pioli is at the helm he will continue to be at the helm for at least the remainder of this season and hopefully milan can get top four with him there yes and let's hope that milan turn things around and go on a mini rampage as they did last season yes by the way mm-hmm. milan napoli next up and then twice in the champions league eh? Yes, so that first game is going to be a bit of a, a test. Now, Napoli are going to come out with this motivation to kill Milan simply because of the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see how Milan deal with that. Um, ah, it's not looking good, is it? At least it's a Serie A team, though. I, I would have taken yeah. Inter and, and Napoli over most teams. Yeah. Because there's that familiarity, at least. It's true, it's true. At this point, it's everyone... Different playground, huh? It, yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is a different playground. Um, Milan have got the history. They've got the identity to to be in the Champions League. So maybe that'll play a part. Mm. It doesn't seem like it, but at least you know. Milan took the game to Napoli in, in the last fixture. I know Napoli got a 1-0 victory at the San Siro. Um, Napoli will probably beat Milan at the San Siro because they always do, yeah. it seems. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a good game. An all-Italian quarter-final. Wow. Yeah, it's going to be really good. Um, and for whoever says, oh, this DNA thing isn't real, it's not tangible, then how else can you explain to me that? Milan managed to beat Barcelona with Kevin Constant, Sully Muntari and Kevin Prince Boateng in the midfield against like Messi, Xavi, Iniesta, Puyol and those guys. They managed yeah. to beat Barcelona, you know. That yeah. Was, no, that it's was, a real thing. It's a, I can't explain it, but it's real in football, man. Yeah, it's a whole mental thing. No, you feel like you're better, so you will perform like you're better. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So Milan are in fourth with 48 points, while... Udinese are in 8th with 38 points. The next game we're going to be covering is Torino 0, Napoli 4. <laughs> you know what I mean? The previous encounter was a 3-1 victory for Napoli in Naples. The part on the pace seemed unstoppable this season, going into this round 18 points clear and with a Champions League quarterfinal against Milan coming up. Raspadori and Demme were left at home, oh no, while Chucky Lozano returned to the Trident attack. Toro missed Caramo, Zima, Mirancho, Ronaldo Vieira and Valentino Lazaro. So a couple of key players missing over there. Napoli started in their 4-3-3 formation with Alex Meret in goal and the backline of Di Lorenzo, Rahmani, Minjay and Oliveira. They had a midfield three of Anguissa, Lobotka and Zielinski with Lozano out on the right, Guevara out on the left and Osimen up front. For Torino, it was the 3-4-2-1 formation which, with Milinkovic, Savic in goal and the backline of Rodriguez, Schurz and Gvarilon. Rodriguez, rightly so, being put back into the defensive three yeah. for, because he would have faced a, a direct encounter with Lozano over yeah. there, so very wise. Um, Voivoda was out on the left with Sango out on the right and a double pivot of Ricci and Linetti in the middle. Radonjic and Vlasic played behind Sanabria. So in the ninth minute, Osimen opened the scoring. Zielinski's corner was headed in by the inevitable Victor Osimen, rising higher than the rest. In the 22nd minute, Richie's long-range strike was saved by Alex Meret and Sanabria's follow-up hit the post. That was the closest that Torino got all game. And after that, Napoli domination. 35th minute, 
Gvaradon Donadman, who won the penalty after being dropped by Linetti, converted from the spot by going straight down the middle. And then in the second half, in the 50th minute, Osimen got his second goal of the night and Napoli's third. It was great play by Napoli as Guevara dummied a cut in and backheeled the ball to Oliveira, who whooped across into the box, which Osimen once again headed home. Some brilliant work there by Guevara and good to see Oliveira getting so involved in the attack. In the 67th minute, just a rub salt into the wounds. In Dombele got his first goal for Napoli and his first goal in Serie A. The ball was hoofed upfield and Schurz was unable to deal with it as Ossiman applied pressure. He won the ball as he continued to outmuscle the Dutchman before beating retreat of the ball and finding Guevara. Guevara squared the ball to Ndombele, who finished very well through the legs of Vanya. This, man, you know how I always say, you can if you have Ossiman in the team, just hoof it up anywhere yeah. and he's going to get to it. He had... No right to get the ball over there. It was all Shures's. But he put so much pressure on him. He ended up getting to the ball. He outmuscled him. And then we thought Richie was going to get to the ball. But Daddy Longlegs managed to fucking get his leg across and play the ball to Gvara, who played it to Ndombele, who finished. Ossiman and Gvara once again, absolutely, absolutely unplayable for an apple. Yes. You can't, you can't touch them. You can't touch them. They're so good, bro. It's it's and and the thing that is riling me up so much and getting me as excited as it is pissing me off is they don't skip a beat. There's no game where they're not phenomenal. Yeah. They've been on the longest hot streak they've ever been on in their lives and they don't look like they're going to stop at any point. They are out of this planet, the two best players this season by a landslide. And I'm telling you, bro, by some serious, serious fucking distance, bro. They are head and shoulders above the rest, man. There we go. Like the shampoo. <laughs> no, honestly, like we said last week, no, it feels like a, an all-star exhibition match every time Napoli play. And I think this warrants the full-length Ozyman song, bro. It does. Go for it. And right. if you haven't been um, seeing um, on social media, um, Google Ozyman food. Um, in Naples right now, they're making all sorts of food that look exactly like Ozyman. <laughs> look exactly like, like Ozyman. Pizzas, steaks, chocolate eggs. A full ass chicken, bro. A full ass chicken with the mask. With the chips on its head. It was fucking <laughs> crazy. So good, Great bro. banter. And these videos always have the song in the background. They're amazing. Yeah. 150 million is the asking price for Ossiman. Honestly, honestly, fair enough. Fair enough. I would not sell him for a cent less than that. Yeah. Not even for 100 million, bro. There's no need to sell him. He's fine with his contract. You know, they, they might as well keep him. So yes, 150 is actually a very fair asking price by the tough man to deal with, De Laurentiis. Yeah. So we'll see if um, other clubs are willing to um, meet that request. Mm. He actually broke a record this year. Surprising stuff, no, for Osimhen to break a record yeah. this <laughs> year. So he got 21 Serie A goals now with these two that he scored against Torino. He has equaled the record set by Samuel Eto at Inter in the 2010-2011 season um, for the most goals from an African player in a top flight campaign. Yeah. Well-deserved Osimhen, absolutely unplayable this year. One of the best strikers in the world. And... 
Honestly, I'm kind of fucking, as a Milan fan, I'm hoping someone's got 150 million to spend <laughs> from a Serie A fan. Absolutely, I don't want to see him go anywhere. And that's the same with, with Gvaratskelia. I mean, he too is absolutely unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. And he was pretty much involved in all of these goals. Yes. He was involved in, well, apart from the first one, which was the corner from Zielinski, headed in by Osiman. But he won and scored the penalty. He played a beautiful black back, my God, a beautiful back heel pass to Oliveira, who assisted Osiman. And then he assisted the, the, the last goal for Indombele. So that's another guy who's been absolutely yeah, unplayable this season. Um, to your point of Osiman becoming the all time African goals, highest goal scorer mm. in Italy in a single season, um, do you know who third place is? Let me think. Let me think. So we've got Ozyman, we've got mm-hmm. Eto'o in third place. It's my boy, bro. Your boy? My boy, dude. Kevin Prince Boateng. No. He's your boy, though. It's Simi and Wank. With Crotone. Simi the motherfucking and Wankwo, one brother. One of the most fun players to watch, in my opinion, because he's so tall that he, he looks like he shouldn't be playing the sport he looks like he's playing the wrong sport but his technique for his height and, and his prime was was very very good and he managed to even score a bicycle kick against Juve and that was I think the highlight of his uh, his career it was yeah. amazing do you remember when Graziano Pelle just made a random appearance at Parma oh, yeah. and scored that fucking oh, overhead God. kick and you broke the dishwasher <laughs> I had them on fantasy football that I celebrated so aggressively I broke our dishwasher. <laughs> but yeah. Um, this was the first time in history that I saw Alex Meret called up for Italy and I said, fair enough. Yes, 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 yes. There were premature claims saying that he was as good as Donnarumma, but nowadays he has proven to be a very dependable goalkeeper. Yeah, but where's Vicario on that call up? That That's the thing that fucking angers me and then he should definitely be called up over there. Is Sirigu called up? I'm not sure. I'm going to pull that out real quick. If you want to keep the listeners entertained in the meantime. There once was a ship that took to sea and the name of the ship was a billiardy. I don't know the rest, unfortunately. I don't even know what a billiardy is. Okay, so once you find out what a billiardy is, in the meantime, I'm going to read out the goalkeepers that were called up for, for Italy. It was, in fact, Donnarumma, Meret, Falcone and Provedel. Like, why is Falcone called up ahead of Vicario? Weird. I think Vicario is way better than Yeah, Falcone, Falcone like, like, fair enough that he's called up because he's been great, but, but Vicario yeah. has been the best keeper in the league this season, probably, in my opinion. Probably, probably, That's not a crazy shout. Nay, thank you, bro. Yeah, some, some questionable call-ups there by Mancini. Yeah. As always. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, Torino started off decently in this game. They even got close by hitting the post through Tony Sanabria, but there's only so much you can do when you're playing against 1970s Brazil, man. Yeah. <laughs> Napoli remain in first place. I, I, I can't even do the math anymore. Like, they're on 71 points and Lazio are on 52, so that's just ridiculous. They are going to win the league by match day 32. Um, Torino are in 11th place on 37 points. Level on points, by the way, with Bologna and Fiorentina. 
The next game we're going to be covering is Atalanta 2, Empoli 1. The reverse fixture was a 2-0 victory for Atalanta. This was the first Atalanta double over Udinese since the 2016-2017 season. Um, Atalanta have gone unbeaten in 10 of their 11 home games against Empoli in, say, uh, five wins and five draws over there. Um, prior to this game, it's interesting to point out that Atalanta hadn't scored in their previous three games. Oh, so they were due a goal over here. Pressure was mounting. And this is how they approached the game with a 3-4-1-2 formation and Juan was sawing goal. Um, Scalvini, Palomino and Toloi were at the back over here with Ruk Jerry out wide on the left and Zappacosta on the right with Ederson and Derun as the holding midfielders with Pasalic playing in front of them. Luis Muriel and Zapata were up front for Atalanta over here. Um, you know, their own little Colombian connection. Yeah. <laughs> for Empoli, it was a 4-3-1-2 formation, the usual for Paolo Zanetti, with Perizan in goal, replacing the injured Vicario. There you go. Fucking hell, that's why he wasn't called oh up. Oh my God. We're, yeah, that makes perfect sense, actually. Yes, the injured Vicario not called up because he is indeed injured. That explains <laughs> the Falcone call-up. No. <laughs> Fair enough, Falcone. Well-deserved. Yeah. <laughs> Ebuehi was playing on the right. Parisi was playing on the left with Luperto and De Winter at the back. Fazzini, Grassi and Vieira, I mean Akpa Akpro, were in the <laughs> midfield with Baldanzi playing as the trequartista and Satriano and Caputo playing up front. No. I was going to say that Atalanta front two of Muriel and Zapata had been 2019, I'd be shitting myself. Oh, yes. Now, there was an interesting statistic going into this match. Um, never in his entire life while playing for Empoli has Ciccio Caputo gone four games without contributing to a single goal. And had he not contributed in this game, he would have, you know, made history. But... Mm. It was in the 44th minute that he managed to get an assist on Ebuehi's goal. The assist was um, totally unintentional and he was very <laughs> lucky to get it as um, Akpa Akpro chopped the ball to Baldanzi who squared it dangerously into the area. The defender's clearance actually hit Caputo and, Caputo and the ball deflected back into the path of Ebuehi who turned and shot it in. This was in the 44th minute. Um, just 10 minutes, by the way, after Parisi had cleared the ball of the line as Atalanta were mounting the pressure. Mm. So totally oh, against the run of play this goal, man. Totally, totally. And, um, you know, they led, they entered the, the second half leading. So it was all, it was looking good for Empoli over yeah. there. In the 58th minute, Zapata um, demonstrated very good hold-up play. He laid the ball off to Ruggeri, who cut in on his right foot and crossed the ball to Derun, who headed it home. I love when a player like Derun scores because they celebrate so much because it happens so rarely. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's like when uh, Biglia... Exactly, from, exactly. And, go and this doesn't mean that they're not important. These are the of silent course. heroes. That's why we love seeing them score. Exactly. In the 86th minute, Ederson lifted the ball to Pasalic, who managed to get it through to Hoyland, who smashed it in off the goalkeeper. This was a scrappy winner over there, but I'm sure Atalanta will take it. Fun fact about Ederson, he was the fastest player this match day. Um, I didn't think... He had it in him. Yay. Hey. But yeah. So this was a victory for Atalanta, a much needed victory to keep their Champions League aspirations alive. They're currently on 45 points, so that is still alive for them. Do you think, do you think there's a chance? 
So there, there's a chance, um, but I don't think Atalanta are up to the task for it. I think they're the least likely candidates. I think Juve are more likely at yeah. this point. But you know, as we said before, it takes a run, no? And and anyone can go on a run. Like you mentioned at the beginning of this episode, um, every week trajectories change and the way that teams are viewed change. The the, the form, mentality can change overnight. Yeah, and, and, and you look at... Atalanta, if, if you're looking at their current form, which obviously is all going to be, be stuck in forever, but if, if you look at their last two seasons, they have really struggled to keep up momentum. Mm-hmm. The best that they had was the start of the season um, when they took that more pragmatic approach and they looked really good. Um, but ever since then, they really haven't had many hot runs. I don't see them having a hot run very soon. They're only three points away from a Champions League spot at this moment. So it is open. They are there. But I think they are the least likely candidates out of all of them. Fair enough. Um, The advantage they do have is that they play once a week. It's the same advantage that Lazio have nowadays as they've been Mm. knocked out to AZ Alkmaar. Yeah, probably willingly. (laughs) Probably willingly, yes. um, To focus on the league, to get Champions League next season. So they can get knocked out of that. Um, (laughs) But yes, I I wouldn't be surprised if Atalanta go on a run, actually. We've seen them do it before. I would be surprised, however, if they do finish in the top four. So that must be said. Yeah. Um, On the other hand, Empoli. Empoli, bro, um, they've lost four games in a row and drew one before that. That was the last point they got was five games ago. Um, 28 points. We've seen teams relegated with 28 points. Should there be a cause of concern over here for Empoli or are the teams below them simply too shit? There definitely is a call of concern because if you're losing that amount of points, fuck whoever's below you. Um, It's concerning. It's concerning Mm -hmm. that they haven't gotten points in so long. Um, It's funny because, again, like we always say, they do play good football. Now, their most recent losses were obviously this game against Atalanta. Before that, they lost at home to Udinese. Before that, they lost away to Monza. And before that, they lost at home to Napoli. They were held by Fiorentina the game before that. And they came 2-2 against Spezia the game before that. So, not exactly ideal fixtures for them. Mm -hmm. It is quite a tough run, but it's the Serie A. And these are the teams you're going to face. So... It seems like ages ago that they got that victory against Inter, man. It, it seems like ages ago they were on such yeah. hot form during during that period. But, but like 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 I said earlier, there is a call for concern. I don't think they're gonna get relegated, but next season they might. You know what I mean? Yes, that, that's that's a good point. But it, as Kalini would say, is the history of the Empoli, you know, and the fact that. Um, they don't really play in the second part of the season. No. They're first they're first part of the season team, right? Yeah. And they do very well in that part. Then they seem to dip. Maybe it's a mentality thing. Um, maybe it's a fatigue thing. Maybe it's a motivation thing. Who knows? Who knows over mm. there? Because watching them, they do play very good football. It must be said that Caputo was extremely wasteful this game and could have actually doubled the lead for Empoli. And that would have been a completely different story over there. Um, an aging striker, a striker who's still deployable, but perhaps not the man you would want leading your line up front. Um, Satriano, Still young, not the biggest fan of him. I think Empoli would benefit from a stri- from buying a striker. Maybe it's Saju next season. Look, Empoli, one of their main problems is that they're a mid to below table team in Serie A and they're a respectable side, which makes them the perfect leapfrog club for mm-hmm. any young aspiring footballer. 
So last season we saw Cotrone, for example, playing for them. Yeah. Not established. He's looking to go bigger. Leapfrog club. Pinamonti. Satriano this season. Pinamonti. Um, yeah, there's so many someone Caputo before he went to Sassuolo. Caputo before he went to Sassuolo. And then they're like, okay, so we kind of need someone in their prime. Bring on Ciccio Caputo. Yeah. He's nearing the, the end of his career. It's like there's no balance. There's no players who are in their prime with Empoli, which is probably why they, they struggle so much in the latter stages of, of the season and just all round, really. Um, they've got a bunch of youngsters that are looking to get out there and showcase how good they are, or they've got a bunch of people that are on their way out of the game as a final hurrah, the Destros, the Caputos, so on and so forth. Yes, um, unfortunately, there are many teams in that region that um, are viewed as stepping stones by many players. Um, however, they do have to prove themselves. You know, and Satriano, for example, hasn't done anything to warrant a move out of there. If anything, it's Baldanzi at the moment. Know that everyone must be keeping their eyes on right now. And and it's the same thing for Akpak Pro because I did not know that this guy could play like this when he was at Lazio. He looked like a totally different player. He looked way yeah. worse. He, he fits in, and I think this is the the level he he should be at. at the moment and maybe he can establish himself look he's still 30 years old <laughs> i thought akpak pro was much younger than that yeah. um this is his level this is where he should be and this is where he's gonna thrive yeah. um other than that like you said baldanzi has been excellent they missed ras van marin in this game they did they did and it was evident yeah um fazzini and grassi didn't quite cut it grassi is one of those could have been players. Yeah. I'm still considered to be young um, by Italian standards, but is by no means um, a, f- a future bowler, you know. Yeah. Um, I think that the spine of the Sempoli team is Parisi at the back, no, Akpak Pro in the middle and Baldanzi in the pocket over there. Those three guys are what make this team tick. Um, they've got a few nice pieces as well, like Henderson coming, who came off the bench this game. Can put in a bit of a shift. Their f- other full backup where he's quite good. Luperto's okay at the back as well. Yeah, um, Luperto's but, quite good. I like Luperto. Yeah, and I like Abuehi. And this goes without mentioning Vicario because yeah. Vicario, of course, is probably the best of the lot. Yeah, to Vicario, Mamma Mia, good, what bro. a player! Um, Vic was gonna get me a Vicario kit. Couldn't find one because Empoli's website is shit. So he got me an Ochoa one. Yes, um, a Salernitano Ochoa thirteen, the yellow kit. It's quite cool. Gorgeous, man. Um, I love it. I wanted to get you a Vicario one, bro. I think that would have been. Uh, I think you would have loved it. Yeah, I think. Um, I think pu- putting aside any bias, he's probably my favorite goalkeeper yeah. at, 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 First, at the moment. You're not. You're not even. It sounds like bullshit. The site was genuinely broken. <laughs> it wouldn't load. Like you press shop and like nothing happens. Then it gives you that like. You know, your browser has died. Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, eventually, when it was finally working. Every single shirt size of Vicario was sold out. My God, man. Well, fuck? man. Well, he's, he's just being discovered now. I, I discovered him a couple of seasons ago. There guys. we go. <laughs> but I love the Ochoa one. It's just a, a timeless one. It is. You it know is. what I mean? He, he, because a Vicario kit, I would love it until he moves to Juve. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this Ochoa, we've got someone that blessed Serie A with his presence. He came in, had no reason to his like, I'm going to Salernitana. What, what's, what do you prioritize when you buy a football kit? I've got soft spots. Okay. And those are the players I want. I've got soft spots for players. Got soft spot. I have a soft spot for Insigne. I have a soft spot for Tonali. Um, I have a soft spot for Chiesa, for example, soft spot for Vicario. These are players that I love. It's just players I feel 
they're, they're hard workers. They're humble. They, 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 I don't know how to explain it. There's just some players that, that appeal to me. Mm. And then there's like some kids that you must have. There's this lot on kids. Yeah. You have to have one. Um, and the, the list goes on. I can, I can go on forever. But to yeah, me, it's yeah, those yeah. players that I have a, a soft spot for. What do you prioritize? For me, it's, um, it's a kit that if my kids in the future are looking through my football kits mm. and they ask me, Dad, who is this? Mm. I can tell them a cool story. Dad, or, who's, who's can, Soriano? Yeah, exactly. Who's Soriano? Soriano was a fucking... Was the guy at Bologna for yeah. so long. Like, uh, Soriano is one of my weirdest kids. I've got Goran Pandev. I've mm. got um, Ozzyman's kit for Napoli. That's going to be a good one. That was an investment. Yeah. I told Sarah's mom as a joke. Yeah, that, that was crazy. She was like, you want something from Naples? I was like, yes, please. An Ozzyman kit. <laughs> <laughs> and she comes down and she's like, here you go. I'm like, what, what the fuck? 90 euro, Jake. <laughs> like, 90 euro. I'm like, oh, thank you very much. I have a Locatelli Milan kit. On <laughs> you have a Romagnoli, <laughs> Romagnoli Milan kit. I'm quite unlucky with the Milan kits. But then I've also got El Sharawi, Bonaventura. I've got Giroud, Ibrahimovic, Pandev. Pandev did I mention Pandev? I've got Goran Pandev on Genoa. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, quite a few interesting ones as well. And the Venezia kit as well. I love yeah. that kit. Um, yeah, we should, and Saponara, thank you very much, bro. That's Saponara, it's um, one of my favorites as well. <laughs> cool, bro. Um, is it your game that's up next? It is. I don't know if you want to go through Atalanta a little bit before we move on. Like, they, they got a victory against yeah. a struggling Empoli. Um, I like they obviously attacked quite a bit. They had 70% ball possession and they had 27 attempts as they were looking to get a victory. Now, I don't think that's a healthy output to have against Empoli when they're struggling so much. I think they overworked themselves so much to get that late win. And I really don't think it's a sustainable. And we've said this before about Atalanta. have to work their socks off mm-hmm. to beat average teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not very sustainable. We saw them take the approach of a, a 3-4-1-2 rather than the 3-4-3, which, which has seemed to work when they were playing Boga on one side and Lukman on the other. Um, but they started Pasalic, they played Muriel and Zapata up front. It just, it's weird calls all around yeah. by Gasperini as well. We're speaking of weird calls. Look, at the end of the day, Atalanta came into this game without having scored a single goal in their past three games. They played against an Empoli side who covered the most distance this match day. So I think at this point, it was just important for Atalanta to score and to take home the three points. This can be seen as a turning point in their season. Mm. Um, and I think they'll, they'll celebrate this victory. Um Quite a lot, to be honest. It, it was very, very needed for them. And the fact that they, for example, shifted to this formation when starting with uh, Muriel and Zapata, who aren't really on great form at the moment, mm. gave them the opportunity to strengthen in the second half. And that's exactly what they did when they brought on Boga and Lukman. That, that did change the game. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, bro. Um, Do you want to let us know where they are? Oh, I thought I did that. Um, Atalanta are in sixth with 45 points, while Empoli are in 14th with 28 points. Excellent. The next game we're going to be covering is Salernitana 2, Bologna 2. The previous encounter was another draw. It was Bologna 1, Salernitana 1. Now, Chernigoy and Trustekong were still out injured while Bologna had Orsolini back from suspension but not fully fit. Dominguez was still on the treatment table and Mark Arnautovic again snubbed in favour of Musa Barrow. But it's good to see these players, Orsolini, Soriano, Arnautovic, featuring a little bit off the bench and coming back to Bologna as they have been struggling with injuries. 
they in fact lined up with a 4-2-3-1 formation with Skorupski in goal and the back line of Posh, Salmaura, Lukumi and Cambiaso. They had Shouted and Mora on the middle with Abishar out on the right, Kiriakopoulos out on the left and Ferguson playing behind Musa Barrow. For Salernitana, it was a 3-4-1 formation with Ochoa and goal. A backline of Pirola, Giomber and Danilovic. They had Brotheric out on the left and Matsoki out on the right. That Koulibaly and Bohinen in the middle with Kandreva and Castanos playing behind Bulaye Dia. Now, the action started in the seventh minute as Pirola opened the scoring for Salernitana. It was a short corner that was quickly crossed in by Kandreva and headed in at the near post by Pirola. Madzoki was played through just three minutes later in the 10th minute, but attempted to chip Skorupski, where he reigned unsuccessful. I did find that to be quite weird, and it was easy pickings for the keeper. Just one minute later, and then to rub salt in the wounds to, of uh, Madzoki, Ferguson scored. It was an in-swinging cross by Kyriakopoulos that was headed in well by Ferguson. In the 21st minute, just 10 minutes later, Mora had time and space to finish a lovely piece of play by Bologna, but Jomber got back very well to take the ball off him, a champion tackle by him. However, Mora will be disappointed not to have executed. Ferguson had penalty appeals as he went down under pressure from Braderich in the box. Yes, it was Braderich, but VAR and the referee waved play on. That was just at the end of the first half. In the 64th minute, Diaz scored um, a shot from inside the area, deflected off Schouten and went in to put Salernitana up with the score of 2-1. However, nine minutes later, Liko Giannis scored a looping header after a Kyriakopoulos corner. So, as I mentioned earlier, Bologna are somewhat compromised by injuries. They are recovering so to say because their, their key pieces are coming back into the squad but what a performance by Kyriakopoulos in place of Soriano uh, two assists for him yes bro um, he is proving to be quite <laughs> quite the coup for them uh, um, a player that was seemed that was deemed to be quite unextravagant no yeah um, uh, yeah, and, and he's actually doing really well. Uh, personally, I, I still mix him up with um, Liko Janis. Absolutely. Like, like, who's who, you know? <laughs> I, I fucking had an aneurysm finding out who assisted who. I'm like, Kyriakopoulos assist Liko Janis. Did Liko Janis assist Kyriakopoulos? I was going crazy. Um, but Kyriakopoulos, in case you guys don't remember who he is, he was at Sassuolo. Sometimes he used to play left back, sometimes he used to play left wing. And if there's one thing he's got, it's a sweet left boot. And that's what he utilized in this game and that's what got him the two assists. But Salernitana really, really fucking brought it to Bologna over here. They did and they were unlucky, you know. They, they conceded two shots on target and... They they conceded two, you know. Ochoa didn't actually make a single game save this game, so yeah. quite unlucky for them over there. They played really well. Um, I really like Pirola at the back. Um, granted, he scored okay, he's putting himself out there, but he looks really good defensively as well. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to Bologna, um, I'm surprised Orsolini didn't make the national team. Another another weird one, probably because he's recovering from injury. Probably, probably. yes, but you know, you look at it, it's. Yeah, yeah, but whatever. <laughs> um, well, he's, he's he's a player to counter what you said earlier um, about Zaccani being the best forward, the Italian forward at the moment. Yeah. I think Orsolini gives him around for his money. Sure, sure, fair enough, and I accept that because he's a fucking beast. Yeah, he's an absolute beast, bro. The Dia song, yes. <laughs> Prende 
de poliția, dar tu te poți să îmi mănci, să te încetezi la palare la viața, să le încanta, al vintinove, sula maia. Bula ei, dia, ecoa, povete granata. They they don't have asthma, these they guys. Don't. They definitely don't. They've yeah. never smoked a cigarette yeah. in their life, yeah, these bro, guys. Although I kind of want to smoke a cigarette with them. Yeah. <laughs> bro, Dia, 26 years old, having an incredible breakout season. Where will he go next season? Make a bet, I guess. Oof, oof, oof. Imagine he leaves. This is assuming he leaves, of course. Not everyone has to leave just because they play well. Like Jake, you dumb fuck. <laughs> but tell me. If he had to move club, Dia, I yeah. see him at Torino, bro. That's, an, that's a great shout. I do see him at Torino as well. I see him at Bologna. I do see him at Bologna as well. I also, I always... I, I would gamble that Atalanta would be interested in most of these up-and-coming mm-hmm. strikers in Serie A. They'd be interested in Dia and Zola mm-hmm. and all these yes. guys. Always looking for talent from the local scene, from, from Serie A. Yes. That's where they, they get most of their coups. Milan could use him, certainly. Um, Absolutely. Inter could use him. It'd be a, a cheap solution when Lukaku goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lazio as well, bro, could definitely use a forward right now. Ooh, Honestly, that's a, that's a I wouldn't shot. be surprised if he goes a step further than Bologna and Torino and actually draws attention from these top six sides. Yeah, perhaps. Or maybe from another league, man. And that, that's mm-hmm. what that's will most likely, likely. Yeah. happen, I think. Um, Ferguson. Oh, yes. Fantastic player. In the absence of all of these stars, he continues to carry that front line. I know Kyriakopoulos got, got two assists, but he's everywhere, this guy. And it seems like he's just great at everything. Mm-hmm, if, yeah. there's, if, if there's a way to sum up Ferguson, is he's great at everything. He's a good passer of the ball. He can dribble. He can have a shot at goal as well. He's a good finisher. Yeah, he's great he's a complete air. player, man. Yeah, he's great in the air as well, 181 centimeters tall. He's 23 years old. Definitely an exciting talent over there. Yeah, it's interesting to see how Bologna will react to this. They have these players coming back. They will be bummed that they didn't get three points. But in hindsight, they did well to get a point. Salernitana were on fire. Susa Salernitana came out here on a fucking mission. And they were relentless. And Bologna did end up coping well. And they'll take the point and move on. They are in ninth place on 37 points. While Salernitana in 16th on 27 Eight points ahead of 18th place Verona. The next game we're going to be covering is Fiorentina 1, Lecce 0. Lecce had won three of their previous four away games in Serie A against Fiorentina. Um, so yeah, a bit of a bogey team over there for mm. them. Lecce haven't managed to score more than one goal in Serie A against Fiorentina since January 2009. Oof. Fucking hell. Yeah. Had Martinez Cuarta played this game, we would have seen two of the top four 
defenders when it comes to aerial duels won in Serie A this season. Napoli's Kim is first, of course, Martinez Cuarta second with 65. Bascarotto is third with 59. And fourth behind them is Torino's Buongiorno. Wow, man. Buongiorno. That's a good soundboard snippet. Brad Pitt saying Buongiorno. Oh, that, that's excellent. That's great. We have nice. to do that. That's nice. Right now. Anyway, <laughs> Fiorentina lined up with their 4-2-3-1 formation with Terracciano and goal. Biragi as the left back and Dodo as the right back with Igor and Milinkovic as the centre-back partnership. Mandragora and Amrabat were the double pivot with Ricardo Saponar out on the left, Nico Gonzalez on the right and Barak in the middle, playing behind Kwame up front. For Lecce, there was Falcone in goal, jean Dre was out on the right, um, Gallo was out on the left, Umtiti and Bascarotta formed their formidable defensive partnership. Blin, Hulman and Gonzalez were the midfield three, with Strefezza playing as the right winger, Di Francesco playing as the left winger, and Colombo playing as the striker, this time getting the nod over Cisse. Yes, sir. Um, Italiano rotated his team a little bit over here. We saw Igor and Saponara, and the most surprising of the lot, Kwame. Getting mm. the call over here, rotating from his, of course, European team because Sabara yeah. does tend to play in the league. Yeah. Um, Jovic is injured and Cabral was rested after the um, Conference League game. Mm. Now, hard press from Lecce at the beginning of the game, bro. Fiorentina started to figure out, uh, figure it out at the 10 minute mark and started to actually play their way out of Lecce's press. After 10 minutes, um, literally looked like they were going to disrupt them from the get-go. And they do that to big teams sometimes, literally. Yeah. They actually press you at the start, get early goals, and then hold on, and you can't do anything mm. about that. In the 27th minute, Saponara charged down the left. He did a little shimmy and whipped in an inch perfect across to Nico Gonzalez. The ball was played perfectly between the keeper and the falling Antonino Gallo, who was unfortunate enough to turn the ball into his own net. Lecce's intensity died out in the second half. The substitutions were sparse and they killed momentum. Fiorentina were very comfortable on the other hand and managed to take this 1-0 victory home. Um, yeah. Di Francesco had Lecce's best opportunity when Strefezza played him through brilliantly, but Di Francesco had his back towards goal and tried to shoot on the turn. It was one of those, as you describe, bro, as eh, <laughs> Strefezza also had a powerful shot saved by Terracciano after Igor lost the ball very stupidly, a lapse in concentration over there. For yeah. Fiorentina, Barak and Saponara had good opportunities with their heads. Saponara forced Falcon into an acrobatic save. No one had more attempts than Saponara this match day. He had six. Mm -hmm. Amrabat got close as well when his through ball to Bonaventura came off Bonaventura's heel and back into the path of Amrabat who mishit his shot. Um, it was a, an interesting game, quite action-packed, quite fast-paced, um, especially the first half. The second half died down a little bit, but bro, once again, having these flare wingers like Nico Gonzalez, Jonathan Icone, Andrea Sotil, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's not the same as having an, a high IQ creative on the wing. Absolutely. Because... You see Saponara, man, and he always does what's correct. He never misses a run. He knows when the space is. He knows when he should shoot. He knows when he should pass. He always makes the correct call. And we often praise him over here for a reason, because he's a joy to watch, because he's got an amazing footballing brain. No, absolutely. And, and sometimes I think you guys think we're joking by the <laughs> amount of praise we give Saponara. But I'm genuinely such a fan of this guy. It's like, when in doubt, just play the ball to Saponara. Play the ball right at his feet yes that's where he wants it give him 
the ball right at his feet and he will create space with the pass that he plays. Yeah. He's super intelligent. And if there's a run, he sees it and he picks it out, man. Hasn't got 90 minutes in him, but those 60, 70 minutes that he plays, he really, really gives Fiorentina something different. And then he's replaced with a more direct player, exactly. which gives Fiorentina a, a little kind of plan B. Yes, some of the goals he scored are some of the best I've seen, to be honest. Yeah. Um, look up his goal against Roma, guys, if you haven't seen it. Oof, his goal, his goal against, against Milan. Milan. Yeah. yeah. Um, it wasn't pretty at all, but Fiorentina kept their winning streak alive and they pretty much neutralized the tough Lecce side. Bar those two opportunities, um, Lecce didn't really threaten at all the whole game. Um, yeah, I think it was rather comfortable yes for Fiorentina I mean sure the the first half was a little bit of a struggle but after that Lecce's intensity dropped I think they they pressed themselves to oblivion yeah I, I think so and and the own goal seemed to set them back a little bit as well after the 27th minute for the remainder of that half Lecce looked like they really wanted to get back into the game keep in mind guys Lecce need points at the yeah. moment they're in a similar boat to Empoli um, where they're nearing the, the bottom end of, of that table and they're starting to you know be in, a, in an uncomfortable area really um, had it been not for all the positive results they had earlier so it's no easy feat playing against a team like that that is desperate for a victory but Fiorentina are super calm and, and super composed and super confident at the moment and I think that's what got them the victory definitely bro especially when you look at the Lecce side that can disrupt um, these big teams away from home you know mm. we, we've seen them do it against so many of them but yeah. anyway yes um, one thing I noticed this game was that Sotil is still struggling to get back to full fitness he's not quite sharp enough yet and Mandragora bro has hit a great run of form he typically gets injured when he hits a good run of form so let's hope that it's different this time and let's hope that we can finally see Mandragora get some momentum and improve as a player because he is a very promising he's player. great he is, he's, he's, he's great and he always has been great his move to Fiorentina halted his progress a little bit and he struggled with injuries in the beginning we said he was going to be that creative outlet for, for Fiorentina um, and, and now he's back and he's proving to do that he's got a great work rate um, he plays well alongside Amrabat Amrabat does a lot of the dirty work and Mandragora the way he plays the ball around is just mm. beautiful to watch and having him and Saponara and Biragi on the left hand side just makes them so dangerous and so creative yes that's a nice double pivot over there Amrabat and Mandragora absolutely man um, I don't know if there's anything else to add to this game. It was quite straightforward. Um, Terracciano, of course, had three saves. Yeah, I mean, three good saves. I mean, they didn't really threaten him. Um, saves a save. A saves a save, though. But yes, uh, let's go to where they currently stand in the table. Fiorentina are at ninth as they get their fourth win in a row with 37 points while Lecce are down at 15th with 27 points as they have complete opposite form, um, four losses in a row now. Yeah. Sassuolo 1, Spezia 0 is the next game we're going to be covering. This was a Friday night fixture. The previous encounter was a 2-2 draw when Spezia were at home. Sassuolo started in their 4-3-3 formation with Consigli in goal and the backline of Rogerio, Ferrari, Erlich and Tolian. At the midfield three of Henrique, Lopez and Torsvet with Lauriente out on the left, Berardi out on the right and Pinamonti up front. 
Spezia played in a 4-2-3-1 formation with Drangovski in goal and the back line of Amian, Caldara, Ampadu and Nicolau. They had a midfield two of Egdal and Burabia with Agudelo ahead of them, Giassi out on the right, Daniel Maldini out on the left and Inzola up front. Keep in mind this was no easy game for Sassuolo facing an on-form Spezia side. When I say inform, I mean they just beat Inter pretty much because yeah. other than that they are towards the the, the relegation zone um, in the 33rd minute Berardi attempted a left-footed curler from outside the box which hit the woodwork and in the 45th minute Drangovski denied a close-ranged Henrique header this guy just keeps on proving that he is a top goalkeeper in the 70th minute Berardi converted from the spot Drangovski almost got to his penalty which just crept underneath him the penalty was given away by Amian, who blocked a Laurienta shot with his hand. It did take VAR to make that call. Now Spezia struggled to keep up with the home side after going behind, trying to remain positive on the ball but failing to match Sassuolo's intensity. Their efforts were ultimately in vain as Alessio Dionisi's side picked up another three points after seeing out their victory. Not an easy game for Sassuolo, but the run of form continues to be not a run of form and continues to, to they continue to show that they are that they should be higher up the table they had a very slow start and they've gotten better a lot what do you make of this matchup between Sassuolo and Spezia um two interesting and dynamic teams quite frankly mm. this season um Spezia have looked to be quite the the unit at times. And now under Sampitri, they have a new kind of lease of life. And we've seen in Zola is definitely um, not an easy player to, to tame, um, especially yeah. when you put them up against Consili, Ferrari, Erlich, Tolian and Rogerio. You mm. think this guy is going to have a field day, but Sassuolo stayed compact and they did very well to continue their, their hot form over here. Lauriente and Berardi had incredible games both of them again again i mean like we said these two are, are two of the best wingers that there is in the league and definitely as a partnership they're 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 top three together um a rare clean sheet for sassuolo good for them right yeah it had been a fucking while since we saw an 8.5 on fanta culture for concilie <laughs> on my bench <laughs> on your bench yeah you i started, started mike, mike. There I, you always start you always mike, start mike. Um, but, but yeah, great three points for Sassuolo. However, a very tight game. Um, Spezia had 11 shots, okay, only one on target. Um, two Sassuolo's 15 and six on target, but Spezia continue to prove that they're quite an offensive side under Semplici and they really, really take the game to their opponents, man. They do, bro. They play up to their opponent's level and um, they have a few players who are capable of causing problems. Interesting to see Maldini starting over here. He played quite a good game, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, after his goal against Inter, why not? The guy, you know, hot form. Deserves it, yes. Yeah. Um, as I said, Sassuolo continued their great run of form, climbing from 17th to 12th and taking down Milan, Roma and Atalanta in the process, bro. You know, they probably lose half their players again in the, yeah. in the transfer <laughs> window. Um, but they do have a, a nice little project here. Uh, under Dionisi and he, he's just doing his best with, with what he has Lauriente was a great coup for them Berardi continues to be Mr. Reliable that midfield three is is, is just superb together um, Henrique, Lopez and Torzvet normally you'd see Fratesi starting ahead of Torzvet but this time there's a bit of rotation going on their defense could still use some work but they managed 
somehow to tame Inzola in this game. Yeah, um, and I think Inzola, it was more of an Inzola off day than it was a defensive masterclass, to be yeah. honest with you. Absolutely, I, I agree with that. Didn't, for didn't sure. play very well at all. Yeah. Um, but that was it. I'm not going to lie. It was St. Patrick's on Friday. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I didn't catch too much of the game. So there's not too much I can add over here. Um, however, Sassuolo do find themselves in 12th place on 36 points, while Spezia are in 27th on 24 points, still five points ahead of Verona, however. The next game we're going to be covering was Monza 1, Cremonese 1. Cremonese are the ninth team in Serie A history to only win one of their first 26 games. The Oof. other eight teams that have reached this feat have all been relegated. My God. So, <laughs> bad, bad. they're fucked, yes. <laughs> now here comes an obscure stat, okay? Coming into this game, Monza had earned 16 of the 18 points available in games starting at 3 p.m. at the U-Power Stadium and say, uh, wow, like... I know, they love playing in the sun, these guys. <laughs> they do, they do. It's all about the, the glow, right? The way yeah. your skin glows in the sun. And they're that's they're probably like. not distracted by that lovely Monza sunset, eh? At, uh, at 3 p.m. It's true. It's true. That sunset was fucking gorgeous. My God, I can't um, stop thinking about it. They, they have, they recorded four clean sheets in those six matches, by the way, as well. Oof. So they were at the top and at 3 p.m. 3 p.m. is not the time to play Monza, guys. No. Don't play Monza at 3 p.m. No. In the last 12 meetings between two newly promoted sides in Serie A, the host team has only won once. Oof. There were six draws and five losses. Salernitana were the last team to do so. They won 2-1 against Venezia on 5th of May 2022. Mm. Um, only Cremonese and Verona haven't won away from home this season. Oh, okay. That's a fun little stat. Okay. And Davide Ballardini is the first coach not to have recorded any clean sheets in his first eight games at the helm for Cremonese. He's so, doing yeah. well, huh? Doing well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a bit of a lost cause already when he was fucking, yeah. when he was employed. It's a very difficult gig, I think, at this point. Absolutely. But yes, Monza played their 3-1-4-2 formation over here, bro. Wow. Palladino. Um, <laughs> Di Gregorio was in goal with Caldirola, Mari and Itzo at the back with Pessina playing in front of the defence. Carlos Augusto was the left fullback over here while Churia was the right wing back, sorry, not fullback. Machine and Sensi played in the middle. Caprari and Petania were up front as the striking partnership. For Cremonese, it was also, no, also, it was a, also a three at the back formation, but a 3-5-2 this time. Um, with Carnesecchi in goal, played very well. Vasquez, Bianchetti and Iwu were at the back with Sir Nicola on the right, Valeri on the left, Meite, Galdames and Pickel in the middle with Okareke and Tsaju up front. So it was quite a gorgeous um, display from both teams in the first half. Um, we saw Monza playing some very attractive football over there, some nice passages of play over there. We saw Petania with another back heel flip, nutmeg through ball um, to Itzo <laughs> who missed over there. And then um, Itzo crossing as well and um, the, the attacker feeling to score. I can't quite remember who it was at this time. Mm. But the first goal came in the 61st minute. There was a through ball to Castagnetti and it was laid off to Ciofani who lobbed it in. The big man does it again, becoming a bit of a cult hero over here for Cremonese Ciofani. Yeah, I think so. Um, 
We've seen this before. Cremonese, after they scored, they tend to concede. And it was in the 69th minute. Nice. Um, <laughs> there was a lapse in concentration, of course. Um, Churia whipped in a ball to Carlos Augusto. The def- a defender got a touch to it, but it wasn't quite enough to stop the ball. Carlos Augusto, of course, smashed it in. He is Monza's top scorer with five goals, bro, Carlos Augusto. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Now... Um, when it comes to talking points, bro, I wanted to discuss over here. So we can agree that Petania has been playing very well, no? Yes. But he's got one goal, bro, all season. One? Yeah, man. One? One goal all season. Now, 27 years old. Now, he is playing well and he contributes nicely to the link-up play. You know, he really services the wingers. He really services the players around him. But with Berlusconi's money... And this project, he'll be one of the first to to be replaced in the starting eleven. Yeah, and I think so. And I think they've got some pull power in them now that will allow them to find a better goal scorer, essentially. Yeah. Now, he's great to link up all of these newbies together, um, especially in the final third. You see the likes of Churia, Augusto, Caprari, um, Sensi, all of them being played through thanks to him, a, yeah. a, a lot of his work. Um, and even the fact that he's just that reference point up front makes him very effective for Monza. But this game could have used a difference maker, for yes, example. Yes, yes, and yes. I'm afraid Petania is not a difference maker. Petania allows Monza to play the, the way that they do. And he encourages that beautiful link-up play. And he's good to drag defenders away with him and play a bit deeper. Um, but no, not a difference maker. And Monza could really use that up front sometimes. Definitely, bro. And, and it's about numbers. No, it's a game of numbers at the end of the day. It's It's... Ridiculous to have your top score be a defender, you know, yeah. when you've got a striker uh, with the CV that Petania has, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, he has Milan, he has Atalanta and he's got Napoli on his CV, this yeah. guy, you know, you expect him to do a little bit better. Now, I'm not saying that he'll be shipped off. He's still deployable. He can definitely put in a shift and work in rotation. But I do think that they will um, replace him for a, for a better goal scorer, someone who can rack up the numbers. Now, it is safe to mention as well, it's only fair to mention that Karnasecki was massive this game and did pull off six games, denying Petania on a few occasions as well. Yeah, six um, saves, I think. Six mean. saves, yes, fucking mm. incredible. Um, and he is one of the goalkeepers that Juve are looking at long term. Mm. Um, Juventus are looking at Vicario, Donnarumma and Szczesny. Apparently, they want an Italian goalkeeper for the future. These Wait, are you, the said, you said Szczesny now. Sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> Vicario, Karnasecki and Donnarumma. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's classic Juve again to, to look at um, young Italian talent. I, I think Karnasecki still has a couple of seasons left for him to get to that level. I think goalkeepers like Vicario and Donnarumma will be better instantly at Juve. However, Karnasecki will be a great goalkeeper. Um, he's got cat-like reflexes. Cat-like reflexes, sorry. Um He's still learning how to command his area. He's still learning how to set up a wall when there's a free yeah. kick. He just needs more experience. And who knows, maybe maybe like Meret, he just needs a change in goalkeeping coach and he'll be there in no time. Yeah, 22 years old, super young for a goalkeeper. Absolutely, man. Yeah, um, when I look at this Cremonese team, who do I see? In Serie A. Let's replace I with you. Let's ask you this question. Um, who do you see from this team staying in Serie A players-wise if they do get relegated? Um, not many, man. Not, not many at all. So Karnasecki, 
hundred percent in Serie A next year. Mm-hmm. Um, even if he's Atalanta's reserve keeper, mm-hmm. um, I think Okereke can fit into a lot of teams yes. because he's he's a, a good player to bring on and he's a good player to to base a, a newly promoted side around. Mm-hmm. I think. Saju, although he is getting there, I think he could use a season in Serie B hmm. just to to gain some confidence and, and rack up some more he goals. He has spent a few huh, in Serie B, Saju. Mm. I don't think he's fully ready to to maintain his his spot in Serie. A. Okay. Um, and Trofani, I, I would say I would say definitely Okereke, Trofani. And Karnasecki, otherwise not many men. Um, it's fair to mention that Trofani is 37 years old. Oh! <laughs> Whoa! He looks younger, right? Whoa! <laughs> Trofani is a pundit next year. Yes, like. next year he's going to be next to Deletta, you know, interview. My, n- all right, okay. So so it's it's to me, it's Okereke and Karnasecki. Yes. Um, Meite, I think, will... will be used can be used by by other teams as well he's a Maybe. quite quite a nifty player I can't see him playing in Serie for example he'll mm. definitely play in a top 5 league next season and I think Valeri will be an interesting player to to pick up as well he's quite good out on the left mm. uh, 24 years old you know Italian he fits he fits the the criteria <laughs> yeah and he's he's very good at bombing forward he works hard he has a good mentality as well, leadership skills. I, th- I think he can, he might be able to stay as well. Yeah. When it comes to the defenders, I think Vasquez has a lot of Serie experience. It might attract um, certain players. But other than that, I can't see any of the other guys. I who may because he's 22 years old, but Bianchetti certainly not. I mean, like, Pickel and Dessers have had decent seasons nothing yeah. to write home about um, Dessers has, has had some really good moments um, Aska Sibar Aska Sibar is definitely a player who, who can who can remain at this mm. level but, but you never know bro who was that Venezia Trequartista last year Aramu what was his name? Aramu like yeah. where Parma is he at, he's at Genoa? Genoa? Genoa. Yes. Like he should have stayed in Serie A. Oh, he's, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You can he was never really, think. really you good for Venezia that season. Really good. That's a fair point. And no one would have thought that the 27 year old, 26 at the time, Mattia mm. Ram would actually go down and play in Serie A. But let's hope that he's growing as a player. Let's hope to see him in Serie A very yeah. soon because yeah. he was good, bro. Definitely. And Dennis Mann was another one. Yeah. He's still playing in Serie A and he had a really good season in Serie A. So, so uh, you, you never know. You never and you never know which one of these players could prove to be pivotal for Serie A sides next season. Who the fuck knows? Who the fuck knows, bro? <laughs> Not it's me. So um, I have a note here before we move on. It's also involved in the offensive play. We saw him crossing yeah. and shooting. He crosses much better than he shoots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's for sure. It's funny you see him bombing down the right quite a bit, man. Yes. So he's he's very he's involved. He's good. He's there. technical huh? for a, for a centre back. In fact, playing in a back three is ideal for him because it gives him that kind of um, leeway, no? Yeah, I, I think genuinely a bit of a, a crazy call, but as a squad player, it so could be anywhere in that league. Any kind of, he, he could be at the top teams as a substitute because he is good, man. Yes, he, yes. he is very good and he's in his prime 31 years old defender. His, his fitness is very, very good. He's in great shape. Um, he's rough, but he's calculated. He's a very good tackler. He can go forward. He can hit the ball. He can cross the ball. 
I think he can fit in anywhere as a squad player. Um, and then from the bottom 10 teams, I, I reckon he can start. For sure, bro. Definitely. Um, I, I do like, man, what, um, what Itzo has to offer. He's, uh, again, super technical, hardworking, tough, very tough. I think he might have had attitude problems in his career. I think so. Yes, and I think that's what probably made him fall out with the, with the Torino uh, yeah. management. Yeah. But yes, um, let's go to the league table and we'll move on to our final game. Yeah, my game is the last one, I believe, okay. yeah. So Monza are currently in 13th with 34 points. Their first ever season in Serie A going very well for them over there. While Cremonese sit in 20th with 13 points. Their return to Serie A is going terribly. Yeah, the next game and the final game we're going to be covering is a relegation six-pointer between Sampdoria and Verona, where Sampdoria reigned victorious with the score of three goals to one. The previous encounter was a rare victory for Verona, now with the score of 2-1. Sampdoria have three victories this season, whilst Verona have four. This was Sampdoria's first home victory of the season. <laughs> now, the missing players in this game were Emil Audero, Andrea Conti, De Luca, Lammers, Pussetto and Rincon for Sampdoria. few players out there. For Verona, it's Tomas Henry, Hien, Rustic and Ingonj. Fewer players, but possibly more pivotal players. For Sampdoria, they lined up in their 3-4-2-1 formation with Turk in goal and the backline of Amione, Nuitink and Gunter. They had Augello out on the left and Zanoli out on the right with Juricic and Winks in the middle. Liris was the left winger, Cuisance was the right winger and Manolo Gabbiadini, super captain, started up front. For Verona, they also played a 3-4-2-1 formation with Montepo and goal. They had Davidovic, Coppola and Magnani at the back with Faroni out on the right and Doig out on the left. Duda and Tamez formed the midfield too, with Braff and Lazovic playing behind Juric. Not for long, however. It was good to see Lazovic closer to goal again in this game and, and Doig playing out as a, as a left wing back once again. In the 22nd minute, uh, Amione hit the post with a header from a corner, showing that Sampdoria weren't here to fuck around. And then two minutes later, Gabbiadini scored. It was a corner kick that led to confusion in the area, but Nuitink managed to get a good ball away to Gabbiadini, who slotted home. Some brave attacking play for Nuitink that passed the ball while colliding with a defender, and a good finish by Captain Fantastic Manolo Gabbiadini. In the 28th minute, the assister, Nuitink, cleared Lazovic's attempt off the line to save Sampdoria from conceding over there. And then the 34th minute, unfortunately for Verona, things went from bad to worse as Juric went out with an injury to be replaced by Gaich. Just a minute later, in the 35th, Gabbiadini scored our goal of the week. He initially did look offside, but Gabbiadini controlled the ball outside the area with his back towards goal, took the ball past two challengers and released a strike on the turn, which flew into the top corner with Montepo getting a hand to it. 2-0, things look great for Sampdoria. In the 49th minute in the second half, Verona came out way more offensive and Braff hit the post with a low strike from outside the area. In the 60th minute, Geich finished well after being played in brilliantly by Duda, but the goal was ruled offside. Just seven minutes later, Geich and Verona saw another goal ruled out for offside after he was once again spotted on an offside position when tapping in a rebounded save from a flying header. 
And then finally, in the 88th minute, Faroni managed to get one back for Verona, making them uh, two one down. Um, a Verona corner was headed to Faroni by Davidovic, who chested in. Thankfully for the Italian, the goal stood. Although there were claims of an attacking handball, and they did take to VAR to figure that one out. Yeah. 10 minutes later, and then in the 98th, as Verona were piling men forward for the equalizer, Sampdoria were able to counter. It was Jesse Rodriguez that squared the ball to Zanoli, who finished with the last kick of the game, giving Sampdoria a gargantuan victory in this relegation six-pointer over Verona. They are still in significant trouble. They are still just on 15 points. They are still nine points behind Spezia. But we have 11 games to go. We saw what Salernitana were capable of doing last year. Who the fuck knows? Who knows? This victory might change everything. They're playing good football. It's just they weren't getting results. Now they got a result. Where do Sampdoria go for, from here? And where do Verona go from here? What a terrible loss for them. So, bro, this was the best Bram Nuiting performance I have ever seen in my life, by 100%. the way. He was incredible. Now, there's a player I, I rate very highly already, Bram Nuiting. Um, but this game in particular, man, he was incredible. Everywhere, bro, he was. He, he was, was in everywhere. the final third. He even he, got the assist on one of the goals. He assisted, yeah. he cleared the ball off the line. And yeah. just overall, his presence in that Sampdoria defense just changes yeah. them entirely. So when you look at the fact that you have a leader up front and a leader at the back in Gabbiadini and Bram Nuiting, that actually gives you the foundation to go forward. We have said that this Sampdoria team are underachieving um, and they should be doing a little bit better, especially with these new additions. Um, Gabbiadini is back in full fitness and if you service Gabbiadini, he will give you gold. Um, Cuisance as we said, has been a good link to connect the mm -hmm. midfield and attack. Juricic as well has been okay. Um, you look at Augello on the left, he's a player who's good. Zanoli's proven to be uh, a player who's ready, to be honest, to be Di Lorenzo's understudy yeah. at Napoli yeah. because he's owned by Napoli. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't know about the Sampdoria side. I certainly think that at the moment, the way the tides have shifted with Hellas Verona just selling anyone who plays well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you this know, is, I think that's inflicted yeah, exactly. They're the best team in the bottom three, Sampdoria. Yeah. Well, one. Oof. And I don't know. Verona were on a crazy good streak before this were, crazy bad but, streak. But now, you know, they've got Henri out. Juric has relapsed his injury. Ngonj is still out. They've sold the Lich. There's nothing left at, at Verona, man. And honestly, everyone's just fucking playing to get them out of there at the moment. Like, I highly doubt Lazovic would be there again next season. But um, anyway, bro, Sampdoria have also, as we said, you know, you remember, I mean, if you listen to the past eight, nine episodes, oh, Sampdoria, another good game, no goal. Another good game for Sampdoria, no goal. They've been playing well for a while, but now finally they have found how to score goals. Granted, it was against Hellas Verona, who are also mm. in the bottom three. But, you know, this might be the confidence boost they need to actually take this goal-scoring form, let's call it that, into a big game. Who's up next for Sampdoria anyway? I'm going to find out right now. Sampdoria schedule is what I'm typing in to find out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, no, no. I'm looking at 2nd April. Oh, that is the next game. Yes. Roma away. Roma away, okay. And then after that? 
Cremonese home. Okay, there we After go. After that, Lecce away. After that, Spezia home. There we go. Dude, that's a... Come on, Sampdoria! Sampdoria. Sampdoria climbing out of the relegation pool. And what? Spezia are getting relegated? Maybe. Maybe. Wow, a bold claim here by Jake, ladies and gentlemen, that Sampdoria stay alive. Let's not get carried away. They got a, they got a good <laughs> yeah. victory over the struggling Hellas Verona. But like you said, they have been playing well. They haven't been getting the results. Now they got a result. Momentum. Exactly. Confidence. The thing that puts the thing that um, attracts me to this team, the thing that intrigues me about this team is that they play so well together. And, mm-hmm. and all that was missing was the goal. Mm-hmm. And you know, now they have even Hesse coming off the bench and he actually got an assist. So, yeah. you know, his confidence would be higher as well right now. Um, they've got Sabiri, who they barely play. My nowadays. God, I forgot about That's Sabiri. That's a good player, you know, to bring on. I mean, he, you could play him in midfield as well over there instead of, uh, instead of Juricic or instead of Harry Winks and play, mm. play, one, play Juricic, for example, behind Gabbiadini. You know, there, yeah. there are so many options over here now. The squad's looking a bit better. And they, they made... Uh, before I, I criticized them because they, they got like Hesse Rodriguez and Cuisance who don't really have mm-hmm. Serie A experience, albeit Cuisance had six months with, with Venezia on the top flight. Um, Bram Nuitink and Gunter, brilliant signings. Brilliant signings for them. Yes, definitely. Um, Gunter, I'm not a massive fan of, but he does play. He, he does play well most of the time. But then when he doesn't play well, he's getting fucking red cards, giving away penalties, that type of player, you know, giving the ball away. Um, yeah, but they, they need this area experience, exactly, especially in that shaky yes, defense yes, yes, that yes, they yes. had. And now him and Nuitink together, and and suddenly it doesn't look that bad over there. Yeah. Um, and this is without Audero, by the way. Yeah, and and bear in mind, Sampdoria managed to take a point away from Inter. So who knows, man? Maybe they go to Roma and they fucking get something out of that. Roma are such a compromised squad. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're going to want a win over there. They, Roma are going to want if a win. If they close down the ball, it's very possible because this, this defense is hard to penetrate. And Roma aren't the most creative team in the world and they often rely on their set pieces. Mm. Or a moment from the ball, right? To, yeah. to win a game. So we'll see how they cope over there. Um, yeah, <laughs> Verona on, on the other hand, like we said, self-inflicted all the way. Um, I, I just don't get it. I just don't get it because, okay, you lose all of these great players that we've mentioned a thousand times. The list goes on and on. Their key players, Zakani, Amrabat, Simeone, Barak, Caprari, Rahmani, Rahmani. They lose these guys in three seasons. DiMarco. DiMarco. Seven guys. Seven top players. And I'm sure we're missing someone in the last three seasons. What do they do in January? They fucking let Illich go. Yes, it's so... They let Illich go to Torino. And And I I wouldn't care about making money off him at that point. I would tell him to play out his contract. Staying in Serie A is bigger than, than turning around a couple millions for him. You know what and I mean? They, and they were looking more alive, you know, with Illich in the team. They were looking creative. And now they've shipped him off and they've brought in a guy called fucking Duda. Yeah. Of him. I, I would name say means small dick and Maltese. <laughs> like a baby's dick. Yeah. Um, the, you know what I see happening to Verona? What? They get relegated and they lose the fucking rest of them. They lose Lazovic. They lose Tamez, they lose Faraoni, they lose Doig, they lose Montepo, they lose 
absolutely everyone. They lose fucking De Pauli, and guess what? Suddenly next season, Lasagna is their main man up front. <laughs> They'll probably lose Henri because now, you know, he's apparently a Serie A player. Yes. And uh, I'm, I'm seeing fucking what happened to Kiev, to Kiev or Verona, where they slipped to Serie B, then perhaps slipped to Serie C. Might happen to fucking Hellas Verona if their management, if their top tier management keep making all these stupid, stupid, stupid well, decisions. To be honest, Kiev had to liquidate because of their financial woes. The fact that these guys are selling, maybe they want the opposite. Maybe they'd rather go down to say a bed and have to liquidate. But I, I can't help but think it's greed at this point because they they don't return the invest. They don't invest after they sell. And that's what the most shocking thing, you know, and they just weaken and weaken and weaken to the point that they're in this situation that they're bro, in. Bro, they're terrible salesmen. <laughs> they're terrible salesmen. They sell their their best players for chips, bro. For chips, they sell their biggest players. And, and how's that money being reinvested? Where? Where? On Juric and Henri? You know what I mean? It could be much better with, yeah. with and then, and then you sell, So you bring in two strikers and then you sell your most creative midfielder. Yeah, and you leave the defence as is. That yeah, terrible, exactly. terrible, shaky, slow, yeah. static fucking defence. There like. was a boardroom somewhere, a board of men. They were like, hmm, Davidovich, Coppola, Maniani. Fine as we are. Yeah, like, what the fuck? My um, God. Miguel Veloso, by the way, at like 300 years old, put in quite a good shift this game. He's a good player. Yes, 36 years old he is nowadays. Yeah. Um, he's slow, he's out of it, good good little career. The, with the ball at his feet, he's very creative yeah. and very mature, though sometimes to slow things down, it's what Verona need, although they never really need to slow things down, do they? They need to fucking speed things up at this point. A bit frustrating by Verona, they'll be very, very, very disappointed. And this is where we can see the tide starting to shift. Sampdoria still in 19th place on 15 points, 9 points from Salvation. Verona still in 18th place on 19 points, 5 points from Salvation. And that was my last episode for a month. You're off to Australia, bro. I'm off to Australia for, for an entire month next Monday, guys. We'll still find a way to incorporate me. Yes. Here um, and there. I'll, I'll probably ask you for voice notes. I'll yeah. probably record with Mintoff uh -huh. and include them in or I'll live call you, see how you are on the episode and all and that, that. That's the thing. Guys, it won't be the same huh, without him. Uh, it has to be said. It, it, it upsets me, man. The, the, the shit thing, guys, because... I know Zoom is a thing and, and we can we can do it like that, but it, it's the most awkward time zone difference ever. It's 10 hours. I'm, I'd be 10 hours ahead in Australia. Had it been 12 hours ahead, it would be better, man. Yeah. Because we can find a middle ground with, with 12 hours ahead. Like I, I wake up at 8 a.m. and you record at 8 p.m. and we record like that. But as well, man, even if we were to do something similar, it won't be the same vibe. So I, I think it's best that just someone fills in and, and I'll make my presence known at least. Yes, bro. We will we'll call you at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. So you can say hello and all that. That's nice. But at 4 a.m. But don't worry, bro. It, it, it'll, it'll be fine. Uh, it's four episodes and you'll be back. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm going to miss doing this so much, man. Yeah. For, Imagine for our month. viewership goes up. <laughs> 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 no, it certainly won't. I can guarantee, bro, you are a great host. Thank you very much, brother. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. 
to this episode once again guys just a great weekend of football i feel like this league season after season keeps on blessing us with with just weekends like this and what a joy it is to have zero plans and, and just to sit in front of your tv and 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 watch the masterclass that is Serie. And we'll have the international break coming up Sunday. We're actually blessed by a visit from Italy. Yes, um, Jake, it's Italy against Malta. Jake and I are going to be with the Maltese Curva yes, for this sir. game. Yes, come on. Tonali is my favorite player in the world, but I am going to murder him. I'm going to boo the shit out. <laughs> Let out all the frustration. Forza Malta, night to gold. Vucci Soda, night to gold. Metani la bujota, Ali. Come on, you boys in red. Dusty, I guess. Come on. So pumped. Let's go. Ah, it's gonna be great. Guys, give us a follow. We're ooh, we'll shoot content while we're there. That would be good. That's good. excellent. That's good. That's we good. should wear the I'm not gonna no say chance. That. No chance. Underneath, so that uh. when Waterloo can lift it up and have a really funny TikTok, bro. That is a good TikTok. You know what I mean? I think get the guy. Cunted by some <laughs> southerners. <laughs> oh my god. I love Elitist. the southerners. My mom's a southerner. Oh my god. Saved it, saved it. Follow us, rate us. Kiss us, love us, DM us, send us voice notes. Love you guys. Thank you very much. I will see you next month. And Jake is lucky enough to see you all next week. Take care. See ya.